Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode You've Got a Friend in Me because A, we have Kirby Star Alley impressions coming up later in the show, plus uh, impressions of Castle of Heart, a Switch eShop title, and B, because the meat of this show is really all about Nintendo's new best friends, the indies. Uh, it's it's really been, I mean, this obviously this year up to this point has been pretty stellar in terms of indie support on Switch, uh, and there was even more announcements at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco so we'll be discussing a lot of those, the state of the eShop, even some sales numbers. But there is one key caveat to all this. Um, we're playing a bit of an April Fool's prank on you, you could say, because this episode is in fact going up on April 1st. But we're actually recording it in the middle of GDC week because as we sit here, or as you sit here listening to this, I'm currently in Australia, presumably befriending a kangaroo or taking a selfie with those little Quokka guys. Do you know what a Quokka is? Have you seen those things? They're like, they look like real-life Pokemon. And they only live on one little island of Australia, and they smile for every camera they see. Like, their face is just naturally a smile. Oh, yes, I have seen them. So I'm, I'm presumably hanging out with a bunch They're of those like right nature now. They're like nature's Bidoof. They're basically nature's Bidoof, and Bidoof is my favorite Pokemon. So it's just like this this synergy of IRL and virtual world. It's just it's perfect. So I'm doing that. So as a result, um, or I will be doing that. I'm time traveling right now. Um, so this episode is actually a quarry advance is the point I'm trying to make. That's not to say we're not going to have a lot of games and news to talk about. We are, in fact, and there are timestamps uh, for each of the games at ramtalk.com in the blog post for this episode if you want to jump around. But it may not just be every single game that came out of GDC. Like, we had to draw a hard line because we had to record this. So just want to be upfront about that. If, if, like, between now and, you know, now and it going up, if Nintendo declares bankruptcy, obviously we're not covering that, but we will in our next one. So just, just throwing it out there. But without further ado... Might as well dive right in because uh, there is a good amount of really cool stuff coming to Switch that we have seen as of this recording. Um, a good chunk of which came out of the Nindy Showcase, which was shorter than I think a lot of people expected. I mean, 11 minutes wasn't the longest, but it still offered some interesting stuff. So uh, we, I guess we could just jump. Oh, we did actually. No, I didn't offer interesting stuff. We got to meet Proto Reggie, that Kirk Scott guy. Did he remind you of Reggie at all? He totally reminded me of Reggie. He did not. There's like something about like his his build and his mannerisms were very Reggie esque to me. I don't know why. I mean, I could but... see how someone would come to that conclusion. Yeah, well, thank you. I <laughs> I appreciate you seeing how I could see that this man was sort yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna yeah. say he doesn't, but I mean, I I did not see him that way. But yeah, um, that's a... this is the most like weirdly diplomatic <laughs> answer you've given to anything on this show <laughs> ever in 173 episodes. But uh, yeah, so we got me. We got me to. Kirk Scott, Proto Reggie, and he also showed some games along with Damon Baker, the usual guy. Uh, I mean, anyway, we're not we're not going through every single game from it, we're, but we did decide to highlight ones that we thought were interesting. Or describe every man, or describe that, every man that talked about. I mean, so Damon Baker, he wears glasses, he has a blazer. No, but we're gonna just talk about the stuff that caught our eye. And unfortunately for Kirk Scott and Damon Baker, they did not catch our eye too much. What did catch our eye though are a number of games, and weirdly enough, some of these games actually have like a through line between them in terms of some similar thematic things. So through line number one seems to be rhythm games, just mashups of they're rhythm games. They're all coming out in the next six months. Yeah, the, the through line is they're all coming to Switch. They're all Nindies. And, Unlike past Nindie showcases. Yeah, which is actually a point we make way layers at. I mean, that's probably why we're so pivot. short because yeah. they didn't fluff it with games that at this point haven't even yeah, – that still haven't even come out. Like it's been over a year. Yeah. I think that's intentional because they, they got burned a few too many times. Now they're doing stuff they guarantee will be out because they're basically done. Yeah, but but it, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit with the Nindy show because I have a few thoughts on the whole presentation. But I thought games would be a good place to start. So starting with uh, rhythm game mashups because that seems to be a trend that popped up. Um, I think by now, 
it, it's no secret that you and I love rhythm games a lot. You you more so than me probably, but we're both big fans of the genre, and the showcase had two of them in those 11 minutes, which was kind of nice. One, the first one is admittedly not an entirely new game, but it did seem to get the most headlines coming out of the showcase because it's something people are familiar with, and that is Luminez Remastered. Uh, so just in case, you know, just in case you thought the Switch wasn't already, like, the final form of the PSP, like, taking this idea of, like, console games on go and really hammering it home, now it's taking probably, probably the biggest game in PSP, or the most, the biggest launch title from PSP, and the one that a lot of people associate with the system, Luminez, and is now bringing it to Switch too. So they're really, it's full PSP mode now, the, the Switch. Um, completely remastered in HD. If you never played Luminez, wait, have you played Luminez? No. Oh, well, when I first got my PSP, it popped up a few times on the eShop, and I was like, I'm calling it the eShop. <laughs> on the eShop. <laughs> <laughs> I choked on my water. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, it's called the PlayStation Store, but eShop. The branding on PlayStation Network is so bad. PSN, PS Store, PSS, PSVR. Like, Wait, is it? Wait, it's the PSN Store? No, it's, it's PlayStation Store. Or, or Sorry, no. Everything on PlayStation. It's PlayStation Copyright Circle Store. And it's PlayStation little copyright circle network. So I saw it a few times on the eShop, and yeah, I kept wanting. I was always <laughs> curious eShop. about because it like, oh, it's a rhythm game, but I don't know something about it just never, never clicked. Yeah, never clicked. I mean, the idea to me is cool. Like, it's basically a, it is a puzzle game and a music game, but how it works is you have these blocks that fall down the middle of the screen, and they have different combinations with two colors on them. And then what you have to do is you actually actually take the blocks and line them up in such a way that you get a solid block of color in between the blocks. And then when that happens, there's like a scrubber bar that goes by in time. This is all in time with the music, by the way. And then when the scrubber bar passes them, they erase any blocks that are per, you know perfectly matched up by solid color. So it's 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 all set to like intense house and trance and techno music. And yeah, it seems like everyone I knew that owned a PSP, I guess except for you, had Luminous and really liked it. And it was kind of forever tied with PSP as like one of its ex- cool exclusives until Our then. good buddy Kevin freaked out about its announcement. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people did. It was yeah. weird. Like, of all the things that came out of this Nindy so showcase. Yeah, it, it's supposedly quite good. I, it did eventually show up on Xbox Live Arcade and PS2, but it's mostly tied with PSP. And uh, from what I gathered, Switch version is basically the same, just updated. So you're still going to have different modes and local multiplayer. But Switch does have the benefit of HD Rumble. And uh, it seems like the guys remastering it at a company called Resonair, they have some interesting ideas of what to do with that. I mean, obviously, as you can imagine... Uh, it will pulse to the beat. So you can either have it pulse as the beat goes or have it pulse as the blocks fall and it'll stick to that rhythm, whichever rhythm that may be. But if you want to get real crazy, there's something called trance vibration. And this will let you rumble multiple pairs of Joy-Cons and then set them around your body or in your pockets or I guess anywhere a Joy-Con can go. And you can just have it pulse to the rhythm using HD rumble and it's just like a steady vibration going through wherever you put these Joy-Cons. And it sounds absurd, and it is absurd, but it actually makes sense that they're essentially giving you a different type of joy from the Joy-Con, because the original creator of this game, a guy named Tetsuya Mizuguchi, also made another big popular rhythm game called Rez. Rez, you know, on PS2 and PlayStation VR. And in Japan, Rez, when it launched on PS2, came with, do you know about this? The the trans vibrator? Yeah, so for those who don't, the trans vibrator was a USB accessory you plug into your PS2, and it vibrated to the music, and you put it wherever you want. You could sit on it, like on a couch, you could put it under a cushion, you put it in your pocket. Um, you know, totally sanit- totally child-friendly, family-friendly wholesome. stuff, like wholesome stuff like that. 
Although it did also come with a washable sleeve, so I'm assuming other people found other uses. And now, weirdly enough, the Joy-Con is taking its place. So I never thought we'd talk about, um, you know, trance vibrations here on the show, but this is what happens when Nintendo's true innovations come through. I mean, this tiny rumbling controller can be placed in cardboard pianos. It can be given to another person to do multiplayer. It can provide extra layers of um, immersion with rhythm games. Call it what you want. These Joy-Cons are versatile, and the developers promise that will be, and I quote from the press release. <laughs> only on Switch. Only on Switch, and they promise it will be real fun. So... Take it or leave it. That's probably the best start we've ever had a podcast with that topic. But yeah, Lumina's remastered, weird trans vibration aside, actually does seem like a really fun puzzle game. And for those of you who really love your Switches, it provides that little extra, I guess you could say. Now, frankly, I'm just going to put it on the couch next to me. That's all I'm going to do. But Not even your shirt pocket? Maybe my shirt pocket. I guess I could do my shirt pocket or, or like a pants pocket. Or oh, is that already too scandalous for you? I, it is too scandalous. I don't know if I'll be able to handle that on my shirt pocket. No, I'll be fine. But, um, yeah, uh, like it, the game itself looks good. I just found this to be an extremely funny thing they're actually replicating from way back in the day. And it's the most quirky Japanese thing you can imagine. Um, but trans vibration mode aside, it is kind of cool just to have Lum- uh, Luminez on an antenna system after hearing some of the things. Man, that means so. I'll be missing a lot if I play that game. I'm assuming it's compatible with the pro controller. But... Yeah. Well, the Pro Controller vibrates too. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, no, no. So you can still do it because it's separate sets of Joy-Cons. No, no, I know. Yeah. Oh, well, it's I, multiple. Well, well, I mean, regardless, I mean, you still want the controller you're playing to vibrate because that. I think it. No, it's an addition. So no, it's no, not, no. I know yeah. in general. I'm yeah. saying in general. Correct. But I'm saying like I guess I'd be missing out on a lot of on a decent part of that game if I play using the the A plus the A one Bowser controller. Or whatever. Oh yeah, the Power A controller. Power set. A. Yeah. yeah, they the so I mean these guys they're cool looking. No, apparently I actually ended up watching a few reviews on it just because I wanted to see what the, uh, what's up with the controller. Yeah. And apparently the quality of almost every single part is like top grade. Like You know, Power A is really, good. Really good. The only thing they don't have is just the rumble and the wireless. Yeah, Power A is one of Nintendo's licensed third-party um, accessory makers. So they're, they're actually based like right here nearby. Yeah, and the controller so nice like that shiny red D-pad. Yeah, so there's a Bowser one, there's a Donkey Kong one, there no not Donkey yeah. Kong. Yeah, Donkey Kong, Kong Yoshi, Yoshi, Mario, Link, Link, and Splatoon, and Splatoon, and regular Inklings. Yeah, and so it's it's quite the set, and right now it's what only in the UK. Uh, no, it's actually available right now in Walmart. Oh, well, I think I know where we're going after this at midnight when we're done recording this trip to the 24 oh, yeah. hour Walmart. No, it's I'm not joking. 24 hour. Oh, it's not. It hasn't been sometime like not that long after Silver Mario Amiibo came out it's not being a 24-hour do you remember one time after we recorded we went to that walmart like 1 a.m looking for amiibo that was a thing we did what the fair were those the golden and the no i don't think it was that i think we were just curious what they had and we were like because we just it's one of the episodes where we talked about how no one has amiibo ever and we're like i wonder what the walmart does so at like 1 a.m we trekked over and proceeded to not find it wasn't a weekday no it was a weekend yeah i'm like oh yeah 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 but but uh yeah yeah, those controllers are cool. Um, yeah, how mean, much are they? I mean, imagine twenty cheaper. Twenty four ninety nine. Oh, so way cheaper than a Pro Controller. Oh, yeah, significant. Yeah. So I mean, because there's no HD Rumble. I would say it's almost worth it, especially. I mean, if you like one of those characters, like I really like Bowser, and if I'm mainly going to be using that one for Smash Brothers, I mean, it doesn't really matter that I don't. But have they wireless. don't have trans vibration. Yeah, that's nice. So it, it'd be at this point, it would literally be like an, a Smash Brothers exclusive controller, because even if they do make a Smash Brothers. Pro controller, I would still rather use this one because it's Bowser. I mean, 
why would I not want to use a Bowser duh, controller? Duh, everyone listening, obviously. I don't, obviously, for, <laughs> as a Bowser fan, if I go to a, Bowser, like a uh, tournament, duh. I'll play as Bowser with the Bowser controller with a Bowser t-shirt with my Bowser keychain. And your Bowser sticker on your home button on your phone. Huh? Doesn't your iPhone have a Bowser sticker on the home button? Or do you take it back off? Oh, I, yeah, it does. How do I know that better than you, Mr. Bowser? I don't know. I guess when you said sticker, I pictured like a full... Oh, no, I meant like, the little, like, circle sticker. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. That's not the only rhythm game. Another rhythm game you can experience without Rumble, coming to Switch, um, is this Switch. one. This one's very um, simple in name and premise. It's called Just Shapes and Beats. Uh, and as de- described by Berserk Studio, the guys making it, it is a musical bullet hell. And I'm actually super interested in this one. Like I think I think you are too, right? Like we sort of made a list of games that caught our eye. Was this on yours? I don't remember. Yeah, sort of. You know what? It, it's interesting. I've kind of after playing. Um, Wow, the, the the rhythm the rhythm dungeon crawler on Dance of the Necromancer. Yeah. Like I mean like like I mean I'm enjoying that game. Maybe I'll talk about it later in the podcast once I feel like I've progressed further along in it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I think I realized that I I like I prefer very sim like much simpler rhythm games. Like anything more complex than rhythm heaven and I kinda lose interest. I don't know. I like I guess I enjoy rhythm heaven the most when I could play them very therapeutically, like just I don't know. I guess it's relaxing and not really paying full on attention, but they can. But because they're so simple and the controls are so basic, when they get really difficult, it never becomes stressful. It's just, I don't know. I, I guess I just see it as it only gets more fun. I get that. Yeah. And like Lumine, like Luminous, like that one yeah. probably, I don't know, won't scratch my rhythm itch. This one kind of seems like it's. Has a little too much going on, but which is funny because it's so simple to. I know, yeah. That's what's funny about because like the game itself is like they don't even like try. I mean, the premise is it's a top-down shooter. You don't even have to look at the screen of Rhythm Heaven. That's true. This one you certainly will because it's a top-down shooter. It does port to four people, which is kind of a neat twist. But literally, like it's all shapes. So you're like your ships a circle, or your ships a square, ships a circle. You're fighting squares or the other way around, and there's like giant triangle enemies too, and that's literally it. But it's like. Super bright colors against a dark background. So in terms of like how it's presented, it's literally as simple as any rhythm game. But yeah, I get your point because it's it is also a visual thing you have to do because it's a bullet hell shooter, which is you know for those who don't know, just a term for these really hard top down shooters. Like that's just what they're called. But um, yeah, I think I think it's kind of funny, like because you're saying that some games you don't like the rhythm being added to. But I feel I almost feel like these sorts of games, like the top down bullet hells, are basically rhythm games in everything but actual music. Like. You do have to fall into a rhythm to actually do well at these things. Like, there is pattern recognition. There is a lot of just, like, Twitch gameplay where you just have to kind of let the... I don't want to say the beat, but, you know, like, kind of the pattern take over. And that's basically what a rhythm game is. It's just this one you have to have your eyeballs on at all times, too. So, it, I, I wonder if this is going to be, like, more in the line of... For you, at least, in line of, like, Rhythm Heaven and less in line of, like, uh, whatever, Dance of the... Necromancer? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, those are like on two spectrums. I feel like yeah. something in the middle would be like elite beat agents, right? Right, and it, yeah, and this this kind of I mean, granted, it's a whole nother genre, but in terms of, I mean, this one feels like complex... it's somewhere. Be- this one feels like it's somewhere between rhythm heaven and elite beat agents. Yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Or, or sure, maybe I'd say it's it... probably about around Actually, elite no. beat agent. Yeah, level. I think between elite yeah. beat agents and dance of the Night I just like the multiplayer probably. idea. I think that's cool. You don't see very mm. many of these games that do four player co op. Like, I imagine it's nuts, but. I mean, I guess in well, I mean, some... Super Beat Sports does four-player... But I mean, well, like, I, I don't mean rhythm game. I mean bullet hell top-down shooter. Oh. That you don't see as much of. So I'm kind of interested in that. But there, it's funny because there's really not much else to say about it. Like, 
the name it's literally just shapes and beats it's just shapes and beats there's no real graphics but um like even even if you look at the fact sheet from the developers it doesn't offer much because there's not much to say like one of the bullet points on the fact sheets that you know i was going through these after the nindy direct is or nindy showcase was literally and i quote shapes of various sizes and shapes i guess so that that's one bullet point and then elsewhere they're saying that the game like the game in the description nominated for the most self-explanatory tile of all time this fact sheet by the way was about 400 words total at most while most are like or less than 400 like 150 while most are like a full page or two so just get an idea of how simple of a concept this game is that that kind of sums it up and also they have some wit but yeah i don't know something about it just really like i haven't played a ton of these sorts of bullet shoot like bullet hell shooters i the last one i really got into was nano stray back on the ds from shining and then they count nano assault on wii u and i never even played it but like Sh- nano stray is really cool. cool game yeah nano assault or nano stray nano assault right and or, they should bring that to switch honestly i think it would do pretty well for itself i mean fast remix is one of the top 10 most downloaded indie games ever so not so shine could easily bring over another one and probably do pretty well but um yeah, yeah. I mean, have you? You're, this wasn't really your genre either, right? Because I know you get you talked about Skyforce uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple podcasts ago, and that was kind of a story game. But you don't usually play much of them, do you? Mm, not too often. I mean, I don't know. It's weird because I did play. Um, wow, I'm picking on the name. It's another, I guess, like top down like space shooter mm-hmm. on the Switch. Oh, Astro Duel Deluxe. Not after duel. That one is fun, but that's like that's literally just multiplayer. Yeah, that's true. Um, Graceful explosion machine. Right, that's right. Well, that one's a little different because that's more like a Gradius. Where doesn't it doesn't it side scroll? Yeah, that's right. I don't know yeah. if this one does. This one might be more like a asteroid duel duel or not asteroid duel, but more like a geometry wars. If you remember that. Oh, I love geometry wars. Oh well, there you go. This is probably in line with that, but with rhythm. Yeah, but that one. I don't know. See, like that one. Like, yeah, it is like a. Like one of those shooter type of games, yeah. but because you're trapped in a giant rectangle, it feels like you're in a little arena shooting. Oh, I see. It's mean. not. It's not like a. You're like on a plane, yeah. and I'm not. And, and remember, like last episode, I don't dislike this type yeah. of game. Yeah. I just don't prioritize playing them. I'd also like to point out, Angel, that technically you're in a giant rectangle when you play any game on TV because there are the boundaries of the screen. Usually. Quite you. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what it is about just shapes and beats. Like it was honestly one of my favorite tiles in the showcase probably just on the aesthetics and the fact like they're and it's really they're going like above and beyond like they're getting not just uh, music they're getting 20 different chiptune artists to all contribute to the soundtrack and stuff so that's kind of cool but like really but is a toss-up for me in the showcase between just beats and sports and uh pool panic oh boy pool panic that (laughs) this doesn't fit the whole like there's a through line of themes of games point i was trying to make but man pool panic is just like a clever idea it's basically like kirby's dream course but instead of just being like oh it's golf but outside of a golf course and now like it's billiards but with no table instead like the whole world is yours to try and aim eight balls into pockets with and the world just looks nuts like you're, you're doing it in like music festivals and underground mines and the wild west and diners and farms and like you name it and it's probably there and each location has all sorts of different weird obstacles and there's like other characters you have to interact with like ballerina balls that look all snooty or like monsters that or what and biker balls oh yeah biker balls yeah yeah, or or like monsters chasing you or you can joust with your pool ball and your pool ball will literally literally ride a horse that is is something they didn't say in the uh, showcase but it was in the factory it's just like this crazy concept there's like over 100 levels for single player there's a separate multiplayer mode included too 
it's probably the closest billiards or pool will ever get to being mini to having a mini golf equivalent. And it just, it just looks really fun. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I like how off the wall it is. I never would have guessed what kind of game it would be, even just by the title. Yeah, but it definitely feels like. They're kind of like Battle Chef Brigade, like just very same publisher. Yeah, swim. No, yeah, that's it. Like they're just very oddball games. They just look really fun. Yeah, um, and and it what's uh, actually this one really feels like Adult Swim. What? Oh, Oddball. Hey, this one really feels like an Adult Swim game because like the art style basically is half of Adult Swim shows art style. It's like Rick and Morty meets like Squidbillies with like a hint of like early '90s mascots or something. Like I don't know how to describe, but I didn't even mention by the way. Or we we haven't talked about that. There's also like different personalities for the balls. So if you're in multiplayer, different balls will have different behaviors you have to account for. Um, you aren't just doing the pool itself in single player either. There's like missions. So you have to like light a lighthouse or like fight a monster. Now I don't know if that means just if you land a ball in the pocket, it lights the lighthouse or if there's actually like unpool related things you have to use pool physics to do. But either way, sounds pretty neat. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds really crazy. Uh, the problem is this is the one game in the direct. That or stroke. I keep saying direct. One game in the Mindy Showcase that has zero release date. All it said was coming soon. Everything else was like you know some something, but this one's just coming soon. So we have to wait and see where that's going. But it is really cool. Like it might. The more I think about, it, the more I'm starting to think it probably trumps uh, just beats or just shapes and beats for me. Although that's a close second. Uh, I'm curious though. What do you think of Fancy Fancy Strike? Because if there were two games that stylistically stuck out the most in the showcase it'd probably be like I'd argue it was Pool Panic and probably Fantasy Strike Pool Panic yeah but Fantasy Strike is pretty close it's the only fully 3D rendered polygonal thing in the entire presentation yeah I mean it's all I I mean it looked cool it looked like a cross between I don't know somewhere between like Killer Instinct and I guess Street Fighter but with the with the art style of Virtua Fighter like, yeah, that kind of weird polygon blockiness thing going on. It's smooth in HD, but it, didn't you get kind of, like, their chest muscles in particular remind me of some really? of the characters? I don't know. I, I thought some of the characters were well-modeled. Like, they looked... I oh, mean, no, no. I'm not, I'm, they are well-modeled. I'm just saying they kind of went for the art style that reminded me of Virtua Fighter, if that makes sense. No, because... <laughs> well, not to me. I don't know what you're getting. I mean, because when I think Virtua Fighter, I think, like, very low-poly characters. I'm pulling up a screenshot to see it. if I can show you what I mean. Because no one else will be able to I see mean, it. unless you mean, like, bright colors? Because everything was very brightly colored. I mean, like, here's a screenshot of Virtua Fighter 5. People at home, oh, what? But why is Ryu in this? I don't think this is a real screenshot. What I was trying to say is, this is apparently Virtua Fighter, and it kind of reminds me of Fantasy Strike. Like, yeah, bright colors, like, simple, like, the characters are very crisp and, like, sharp there's not a lot of intricate details, so it's like very. <laughs> that looks extremely generic, but yeah. Uh, sure, whatever. I teach their own. I, I mean, yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I, I just. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, uh, what do you think of it as like a fighter? Because I mean, you're saying it kind of reminds you of Killer Instinct. Does it? Well, Killer Instinct and like it just has a really interesting cast of characters. I mean, you have like rock monsters. You have like a woman like wielding like a paintbrush to fight, and a guy that stops time. Yeah. Uh, it just looks. It looks wacky, and we definitely need more like lighthearted fighting games like that. But it still looks like it has, I don't know, like a deep core, I don't know, fighting system that easy like oh yeah, easy to play, like hard to master kind of deal. They are really gunning for it to be like an actual deep fighter. Like 
the the pitch that the developers were giving is like, oh, it's really easy to pick and play. Combos are all one button are all button presses. Like you don't have to memorize crazy things. It's like each attacks one button press and you string up the other two combos and that's it. Yeah. That's literally a selling point. No, I remember like it's, one of like the tagline at the end was like like oh, so you could focus less on the combo than more on the strategy. Right, or something right. Like it, which is very much what SNK Hero Heroines coming to Switch as well is also pitching itself as like super easy combo so anyone can play. But where this one's standing Which out... Which is also a Pocket Rumble. Was also if that's ever like, coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what is up Which with is basically what Smash Brothers did, which is why Smash Brothers was popular. Well, Smash 2D's game's defense, Smash does require you to hit a stick in a direction, too. And that that's two inputs now instead of just one. Well, I mean, that's that just so you get some variety. I'm sure this one will have, like, just punch and yeah, forward punch. Probably. But, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to do all their other, I guess crazy looking moves yeah i mean they they, they were even literally one of the selling points was also short move list for each character so mm. it's easy to learn so that's a little that's, that's a little concerning but then i mean i mean that could be both good yeah and bad but i mean i guess to be fair like smash brothers also has actually i, I guess most games smash only has six per yeah. character technically yeah and i mean i guess even street fighter like i mean most characters don't really have that big of a move list either it's just yeah. the way you combine them but but what was weird to me is so they say all this right they say all this like it's easy 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 but then further down in the same fact sheet again i read all these fact sheets i'm a encyclopedia of indie games that half of you will never probably play but uh in this same fact sheet they go on to say like oh it's designed for tournament play and it's gonna come with all the typical trappings of, like a fully featured fighter so there's gonna be a tournament mode there's gonna be online multiplayer both one-on-one and three-on-three like team battle mode there's gonna be uh all these local multiplayer options and they're really like hamming up the fact or that this is a serious competitive fighter right after saying it's a super easy to learn fighter so it seems like they are trying to walk that line yeah if they'll and, succeed, and i mean that's cool i mean we, set, we do need more it's nice to see other fighting games pop up like so it's not yeah. just street fighter and mortal kombat and i guess smash brothers but yeah yeah i mean and to be fair like switch itself is becoming quite the machine for fighting the only I don't know. I, I guess the only potential issue... I mean, it's not really so much an issue with the game, but just, I guess, me and maybe some other people, but typically these types of games uh, are f- focused more on the fighting than the single-player or any kind of, yeah. like, a single-player aspect to it. Is Which that, is there as well. There's a full story. Oh, no. Well, yeah, yeah, But I mean, the single-player just serves to show you how to fight and just to play. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're yeah. just fighting the whole time. Yeah. Like, these kinds of games are just... They're investments. It's like you don't start playing one of these games unless you, I guess, plan on, I guess, fully, I don't know, I guess, getting yourself into it. I don't know. Don't At know. least for, like, a more hardcore fighting game fan, that's probably true. I'm sure some yeah. casual folk to be like, I like to, like, I casually play Smash. I I never anticipate ever, yeah, as you but, know, because I'm not the best well, yeah, Smasher. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you yeah. bought Smash because it's Smash Brothers. Yeah. I mean, but like I also, you're not going to buy, you didn't buy Brawlout just because. That's true. That's true. I well, mean, I'm waiting for Smash Bros. Sorry, Brawlout. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's my point. Yeah, like, most people, point. I feel like, aren't going to... I don't know. Most people, like, they don't want to invest... Or they're not going to invest on something completely new when they know something's coming that they're going to invest well, all the Well, I think in. the Brawlout example is bad for that person because Brawlout was supposed to be a temporary substitute for Smash. So I was like, I'll yeah. for Smash. But I did buy ARMS. That's a pretty different type of thing. Yeah, it's technically a fighter. You'll buy anything Nintendo puts out. Not quite. Any you know tri- what I didn't buy? Bayonetta 1 and 2. Yeah, because you already bought them for the Switch. You know what I didn't buy... Uh, Poke- uh, 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 Kirby Clash Royale on 3DS. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I was that's so- also a fighting game, sort of. 
Yeah, barely. But I mean, you had it's the, really a party I mean, game. You ha- I mean, you had the mini games in one of the Kirby games that you bought. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was in Triple Deluxe. I don't have it. Or if it was in Plant Robobot, no, I do it, have it. It, I it forgot. was in Planet Robobot. Well, that's twice now. I've forgotten something about Plant Robobot. Man. Yeah, and it's still separate episodes. But yeah, I mean, I hope the game does well, and I don't know. It's it's like I want to check it out, but I think it'll depend on when it comes out. Really. Yeah, it, yeah, it really does, and. It's going to get harder because I'm going to get a PS4 soon, so... I, I do think, in general, the Switch having as many fighting games as it does is only a good thing. Though. Like, it has such a variety... No, it is. I mean, it literally only has one that I know of, which is just Brawl Out. Switch? One what, fighting game? What other fighting games do they have? Really? ARMS? Pokken? Multiple Street Fighters? I don't know. Uh, Brawl Out, obviously. SNK Heroines coming up. Fantasy Strike coming up. No, Pop- that, that are out already. Oh, okay. Well... A Street Fighter, a Pokin, and an Arm. Z. That's three. Mm, but yeah. my, my point was more like obviously, yeah. There's only three right now, but we I rattled off like six total coming out, at and the they're end of this all year. completely different. They're, that's my point. Is yeah. like it's smart because it's much like... which is both good and bad. Because well, I guess as far as um this type of fight is concerned, there is no fighter like this one. I guess the closest one is Street Fighter Two, but that's Street Fighter Two. That's like. Or, Even or simpler. in some ways, SNK in the sense of they're trying to target well, the SNK same casual, yet, but yeah, but but, yeah. Comment, but neither is this. So yeah, because yeah, I I think it's only a good thing. I mean, I get what you're saying that like you have to invest in a fighter, but if you're a fighting game fan and you want a system that will oh, no, yeah, be yeah. a breath of fighters, I mean, obviously, like this, this is perfect. You have the, six the, totally different games. The, there, there are and there will be people for. It. I mean, how else did Skullgirls ever become popular exactly. and eventually get its second all? Speaking of which, that should come to Switch at some point. I mean, if we're doing ports of other stuff, Skullgirls, yeah, Skullgirls mean, would do quite well on Switch for the same reason. I think all these fighters, they're all good. I mean, benefit from each I mean, other. Isn't Lab Zero already porting their second game? It's like that RPG yeah, they platformer. Are. They I forgot are. what it's I called. I forgot what it's called, but yeah, they announced it. I want to say last fall. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I could see them porting over Skullgirls. I mean, yeah. there's even rumors of. Marvel's Capcom 3 coming to Switch, but... Infinite Wars? No, the good one. Ultimate. Oh, I was thinking of the new one. <laughs> I was like, I want that. Ultimate Marvel's Capcom Yeah, 3. I, I'll, take, I'll take Ultimate. The one with Phoenix Wright. There you go. But yeah, no, it, it is like... I mean, it's fine because we always talk about the Switch as being like an RPG machine. Like, even last episode, I was saying like, oh, South Park, The Fractured, but hold, it's great that's on... It's great that's on Switch because like there's so many RPGs and this one will cater to people that want a different RPG but after playing all the JRPGs. And now the fine and actually there's a new RPG that was shown in the showcase called um what was it West of Loathing I think the um there's like a comedy RPG it's sent the Wild West saw stick figures and that too was is that like that announced a long time ago or something I feel West like... of Loathing has been on other systems oh, it was okay. just confirmed for Switch and it's coming out yeah, relatively like soon I've not seen this like a long time ago well to me it was just like oh it's Gunman Clive if Gunman if you remember that 3DS game it's Gunman Clive if Gunman Clive was stick figures and, and an RPG but like same exact setting and kind of similar like oh whatever did art style <laughs> like, in the wild oh ones. Red Dead Redemption of Gun, Gunman Clive <laughs> I, that's how I view the world I mean Grand Theft Auto to me is just Mario Kart but with prostitutes oh that's so. you're gonna say like New Donk City but with prostitutes no, oh I didn't even think of that that was so much better this is why because not- you're not exclusively in a car and yeah. This is why I'm not an improv troupe. It all makes sense now. But, uh, yeah, no, like the, the RPG thing, like all those games, you know, you buy into one and then you have so much variety. And with the fighters, even if you're not going to invest heavily in all of them, to have like your, I'm serious about Smash, I'm serious about Pokemon. But hey, arms and Fantasy Strike on the side is casual things. Like it, it's cool that Nintendo's in a position where they're getting that many games within a genre that are so different from one another. So we'll see if it pans out, but I, I, mm-hmm. I like it at least. So that, so that's Fantasy Strike. But, um, 
What more of the story? There aren't enough hours in the day to fully appreciate every game. More of the story is they need to cool it with these games because my god, there there were two hundred twenty released since December first. I counted yeah, for a point. I'll people got to eat. I know it's true. No, I th- I think it's good to have this many games until it's not, which we'll we'll get to. But I think it's already at that point. It's but... already at that point. Oh, trust me, I have quite. I'm just going ahead in my notes here. I have quite quite a spiel I want to make about uh, about the inundation of games. But before we get there, there are more games to talk about that are worth highlighting. It's funny because specifically it, to prevent it, that inundation. Because it's not even like it's shovelware. It's like it's all quality yeah, stuff. It's like the town's got to address this, which is kind of what I'll get to. But I I, I feel like. <laughs> The only reason I keep oh, teasing I can't, it, I can't wait to get there. No, the only reason I'm teasing is because I feel like before we get sidetracked on like what Nintendo's doing right or wrong, we should really, because there's so many games, give some attention to the games that actually are worth getting some attention. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to bury the lead here in a way. Like the Messenger. So, like the Messenger, exactly. So the Messenger actually fits my earlier point about, like, there's some games with some through lines. Like, we had two rhythm games, and we had three ninja-related games. Fantasy Strike has a ninja in it, and the Messenger's about ninjas, and so is Mark of the Ninja Remastered, which actually... I think it came out on, like, Xbox Live back yeah, in, like, did. 2012, and it was a hugely well-received game at the time. It was, like, a 90-something on Metacritic. I think it was also on Steam. But I think it was, yeah. Um, or Games for Windows or something like that. But, yeah, it's, so that's one little stealthy game. But The Messenger looks more interesting because of its hook. So, at first glance, it kind of looks like what would happen if Shovel Knight was modeled after Shinobi or Ninja Gaiden or a game like that instead of Mega Man and Zelda 2 and all that. But what makes Semester like specifically interesting is there's more to it than just a throwback 8-bit platformer. It's also a 16-bit throwback Metroidvania adventure. It's like basically the game starts as one and then some sort of thing occurs and it morphs into the other using a time travel po- uh, uh, plot line. And then you actually start rotating and going back and forth between the two styles and the two subgenres pretty much on the fly throughout the game. How that all works remains to be seen, but it's certainly kind of an interesting twist on a typical throwback concept. And to me, that makes it worth keeping an eye on at least. Because you don't – like indie games have reached a point where there's only so many times you can be like, oh, we made our own version of Mega Man or, oh, hey, remember like Zombie Ate My Neighbors? Well, what if like – we did that, but it was Dracula. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, you'll appreciate it for nostalgia, but it's also a little twist. But this is, like, actually something different where they're they're admitting the basic ideas are taken, so now just mashing up all sorts of things to get new things. So I, I think <laughs> it's kind of cool. But I, I will say, though, I kind of want to just be an action platformer. Like, the Metroidvania... Maybe it's just me. I don't know if you agree with me, Angel, but the whole Metroidvania subgenre is starting to feel a little played out. It's very much... To me, how we grew tired a couple years ago of all the 2D artsy side-scrolling platformers that Indies put out, I feel like Metroidvanias are getting close. Like, in the Messenger's defense, to be fair, they're only saying character upgrades and hidden levels are part of the Metroidvania angle. I don't think there's a whole interlocked map. And I think it's the whole interlocked map part that, like, the interconnected world that is kind of just, like, that started like how many games are you gonna do like how many times do you have to walk through the same thing seven times in a game oh, yeah. across like and, 20 and, games I, I know what you mean there's there's a ton out there and and it sucks for those that were announced a long time ago uh-huh. like um uh, like, like, like the one by the castlevania dude uh that, bloodstained yeah that still have we have ritual of something or whatever it will by the time this episode is listened to people in however many days after we record it i believe a release date will have been announced it's at gdc this week i know that so um 
insert date here is when it's coming out so there you go yeah. <laughs> no but yeah that's that's gonna fall I think that might be an exception because you're buying into literally that exact game I'm talking about games where it's just like oh so we did this game but we're like what if it was a metroidvania so we made it a metroidvania no, I no, mean no. I, I take what I'm saying with a bit of a grain of salt because like literally last episode I was like Tokitori 2 is great it's kind of a metroidvania so but it's a very light metroidvania so like the light ones i'm fine with it's the one yeah you have all the powers in the beginning it's exactly just, it's just a matter of knowledge it's the one where you're literally tracing back and forth over and over and over and you have to get power ups and whatnot just to go like, back oh, again there's a door i can't yeah, go to that's the one where i'm kind of like we it's a little played out but like i said it seems like uh, the messenger at least is not going quite that extreme so I, i'm still interested in it. and even if it does fine that's fine i'm just saying we're reaching the point where it's going to start not being fine i don't know if i'm quite there yet yeah but yeah i mean i'm gonna keep digging myself deeper into this hole of being like i like metro but i don't but i do but i don't so i'm just gonna jump to the last game we were going to talk about before i get way down that hole which is actually one i think you specifically wanted to call out um which is lightfall actually no it's on your list you gave me you liar is it uh-huh i distinctly remember i have the list huh here we go. Ever... It's happening. This is what happens when we do these things pseudo live and there's no edits. You ready? I'm going to scroll up. I'm going to scroll up. It takes a minute to scroll up. We apparently text a lot. Last game on your list under Pool Panic, Lightfall. Now, it works huh. out because I'm I also interested in Lightfall. that was an accident. You typed two whole words by accident? I copy-pasted the list and then I erased stuff. And I think I just uh, forgot well, to erase Lightfall. I'm going to give Lightfall credit. Because I actually am so interested too. <laughs> now, I, I think I what I, it was I, your I, main interest, but no, um, the games on the list were mainly just things I had comments on. Okay, so what's your comment on Lightfall? Apparently, you have a comment at least. So, kind of to continue from what you were saying, like on that, you're starting to get like fatigue on. You're starting to suffer from some fatigue on Metroidvania. I'm starting to get a little, starting to feel like a little fatigue for these kind of like fast plat, like difficult platformers, right? Like, I mean, we had Celeste, and then we had Super Meat Boy, and then we also had DND is Nye, and then there's also BBB on the Switch. There's, like, just a whole bunch, and they're not that hard. I mean, development-wise, they're not that hard to make, so I could see why a bunch of them get pumped out. Well, let, let's back that up, just to be fair. No, no, no. They're, 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 they're not hard to... Level design's hard, but yeah, level the styling is... of it makes it easier for them to focus on level design, so they all kind of look the same. Yeah, what I mean, yeah, what I essentially <laughs> mean is like you have a just to be big, fair, difficult obstacle course and typically simplistic graphics with a very simple, yeah. tiny-looking character. Yeah. So, like the level design, yeah, obviously, like that takes a long time. Like, there's a lot of hard work put into these that is definitely appreciated because I do love this kind of game. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I, I'm start. I mean, I'm starting to feel like I've played the so fatigue. many of these kinds that I'm like, ah, another one. It's like, all right, it's not because Lightfall it. got the longest chunk of the showcase. It had a tra- a full trailer, fully voiced, and a description from Damon Baker and or Kirk. Yeah, and I don't it, remember who said it, but and, and it does have like an interesting. I mean, this one looks like it's kind of like a mix between an endless runner and this kind of game. I'm actually kind of into this one, to be honest. Yeah, like like this one, like it like it does look different, but and I'm not saying I'm already fatigued, but this like this one did kind of was the first one that the made me go part. like. It did make me go like another one because it is just that it is that type of game. It made you DJ Khaled, I get. It. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> another one. But uh, I don't know what that means. Oh well, it's a reference to the, the millennials listening will get it. Gen Z. You guys got me. You got my back. Um, you know what Snapchat is? It's on there. DJ Khaled is a. Anyway, Shadow or uh, uh, Lightfall, I almost call it Shadowfall. The thing, the thing that actually kind of seems interesting to me is it does do one thing different from other games of this type in that you have a 
accessory of sorts. You can summon this box called the Shadow Core that just like pops up wherever you are. So you can extend your range. You can like you know run do a huge jump and then basically build yourself a platform to jump again. So there's also like I wouldn't say it's more of a puzzle because of that, but there is an extra little like layer to it that some of the others don't do because all the others are basically the same jump on the platform, dodge the thing. This one at least is like, hey, now you can make a platform too. Doesn't help with general fatigue that will probably come out of it, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like this at least is doing something a little different. And I do kind of like, even though the art style is very reminiscent and familiar I, of you know of other games of genre subgenre. I do kind of I do kind of like it. I don't know. So this one didn't necessarily catch my eye, but you put it on your list. I brought up, but there are want me to make perks of it. Yeah. So I mean, have you played it? Yeah. So we'll see, but those those are just a few of the nindies that we that were announced in the showcase that we thought we'd I guess discuss, opposed to look forward to. Uh, my bad, didn't put you on spot, but uh, yeah, there's a lot we didn't even mention that are probably worth checking out anyway. To anyone listening, I mean, there's Garage from a Tiny Build, and it's like this crazy grungy like VHS art style. It's all like it's a top down shooter, but it's very like grindhousey, but VHS instead of seventies like film. There's a game called Puda, which looks like kind of a fun laid back puzzle uh, puzzle platformer. There's not one, not two, but three games from the Banner Saga series coming to Switch. But for like everything that the showcase did show, it all felt a bit... And this is to your point before where I kept saying, I'll get to this, I'll get to this. The whole showcase all felt a bit like, I don't want to say lackluster, because there are some very interesting, cool-looking games shown. I mean, we just rattled through, you know, we rattled off like six or whatever. The developers obviously put a lot of uh, pride and blood, sweat, and tear into these projects. We talked about them for like 40 minutes. So clearly there's stuff to talk about and things to come out of this in, uh, showcase that look interesting. But in terms of like knock your socks off big news, yeah, this showcase did not deliver the oomph that, you know, the other ones in the past did. Like usually my Twitter feed blows up around this stuff. It was weirdly quiet for this one. It went from being like 20 minutes to being 11 minutes. It Something was up. And here's that rant I tease, but feel free to interject at any time. It does – I don't know if you felt this way, Angel, but it made me wonder why – why did it feel so different? Like, what changed? I think part of it is you're not getting just... older, and you feel like you don't have enough time for games. So you're like, oh, I just can't get excited anymore. Like, I no, used to. you know, I think part of it. I don't even mean just me personally. I mean like the lack of response from the internet. It was really quiet, and I think part of it is this sounds weird. Lack of familiarity. There's nothing here that people are like. There were very little here that people are like, oh, that like totally like. People get excited about things they know. You can't get easily hyped about something you aren't at all familiar with unless it's really different or really innovative or, you know, something totally out there, which maybe Pool Panic's totally out there. But, you know, most of it wasn't. I feel like Pool uh, Panic almost did it. Yeah, because it was totally out there, right? Yeah. But, like, in past indie showcases, they were able to announce stuff like Stardew Valley coming to Switch. And that was a big deal because it's a well-received game and it was at peak popularity or what it thought was the peak until it came to Switch and really blew up. And then you had like announcements like Wargroove or Golf Story, which while new, were very clearly drawing uh, inspiration from like Advance Wars or Mario Golf, respectively. So that kind of triggered also similar similar level of hype from people because it's just like, oh, I know that game, like I know that it's different, but like I get what they're doing. That's cool. And there wasn't really much of that with here because the most we got was like, oh yeah, Lightfall. I know that it's like that game Celeste I played six weeks ago or whatever, or that might be your train of thought because I haven't played Celeste. Like the like this time around, just there wasn't much of that sort of familiarity to build excitement. I mean, Lumina is slime sand. Huh? I forgot about that one. Yeah, slime sand falls in that bucket too. You're right, but yeah, even um, like I think the thing that came closest to that sort of oh that game whoa was Lumines, 
And sure enough, Luminous was the only game that got really a, some buzz outside of the showcase, besides just being one of 14 games in the showcase. So I think, I think Nintendo for Better or Worse made a conscious decision to limit the games shown, and that's partly why we didn't get the sort of exciting ones. I mean, you were saying before, and I think you're spot on, that they focused on games that are coming out soon. They basically applied the Nintendo Direct marketing strategy. Like I was saying last episode, on my whole little tear about Nintendo Direct's so smart because they do like they only tease games coming in the next sixty or ninety days, or they only really show games in the next sixty or ninety days. They announce games for the next sixty or ninety days, and then they tease one or two or four or whatever far out projects, but they're very brief. They don't really linger on them much at all. So with the Direct it, or uh, the showcase, I should say. That's basically like that's basically what they did. Like if you look at how past showcases were structured versus this one, they seem to have decided to rein this one in significantly. Like in past ones, you got announcements for all sorts of games with vague release dates that just never arrived. I mean, you were saying like, you know, those games are waiting over a year for now, right? Like yeah. Pocket Rumble, Hollow Knight, War Groove, Morphe's Law. I could keep going. Like Morphe's Law is supposed to be on January. It's, keep going. Uh, I can't. That was a lie. Uh, <laughs> way to call my bluff. But uh, yeah, if you if they can rein in the announcements in just a few months, as they did, in this case, all but two of the games were actually Super Meat Boy Forever. Yeah, Super Meat Boy Forever. What was that supposed to be on? Like uh, February? Forever ago. Yeah. Well, that's been in development for years. Yeah, that's true. But on Switch, it's supposed to be out relatively soon. But yeah, they there's all these games that just kind of fell to the wayside. And what I was starting to say is, in this specific direct or showcase, what they did is all but two games are coming out by summer. That's a pretty good chance that all but those two, you know, those 12 out of 14 games will actually be out by summer. They're actually going to deliver what they promised. So I'm sure this is why we also didn't get updates on any of those games as well. Like, it would have been nice if we saw something new about Morphe's Law or got a release date for Hollow Knight. Apparently Hollow Knight, again, we're recording this in the middle of GEC, but apparently Hollow Knight does get is getting a release date sometime this week. Someone's probably listening like, oh, they, yeah, it's coming out this day, and I can't hear you because I'm on a recording from a week ago. But they did they did apparently promise a release date and are doing it, but I don't know why that won't be in the direct or the showcase unless it's because they don't want to keep promoting the same games ad nauseum, only to have them remain unreleased for one reason or another. At least this way they can present smaller projects. They can come and go. Um, you know, These products would come and go without anyone paying attention, but now they can give them a chance to actually shine. So it's kind of smart. But to really go full circle here, it does kind of hurt the overall buzz of the showcase. Like back to my original point, like I get why they're doing the short-term games, but they don't really have the pull of the counterparts in Nintendo Directs. Like announcing, I don't know, let's pick a game. Announcing the Messenger, as cool as that concept is of the 8-bit, 16-bit switcheroo, right? That doesn't have the same necessarily, necessarily like immediate reaction as when they said like I don't know what they announced in the direct that was like really crazy. Uh, that's coming soon as a surprise. Oh yeah, like Okami HD. Like when that was announced, it's not crazy, but it's just like oh whoa, that's kind of cool. But you know, nothing in the in the showcase has that. It's like oh, it's coming out in sixty days. That's awesome. You're just like well, that looks neat. So it's just kind of like they they don't because they don't have that. They can't build the same amount of buzz. Like I feel I really wish they took the other half of the direct strategy and actually teased longer-term stuff, just not in much detail. Like, there's a number of well-known, respected indies who, if they dropped a trailer or a teaser or a tidbit, that would have generated some buzz out of this showcase more than I think we got. I mean, Dirty AM Games. They're guys that did Rumbo. Rumbo was huge on Wii U. It's coming to Switch on April 24th. They could at least mention that, right? Or better yet, 
I don't know why they didn't do this. 13AM Games is already teasing a new game. They put up a screenshot of a detective badge or something, or art of a detective badge on their Twitter. They're starting to start up the hype cycle for a new game. Why not toss a very brief teaser or trailer or something in this showcase? Just be like, hey, these guys have something coming. No date, no no necessary details. Just, you know, the same way they drop a Metroid logo yeah. or something. They could in that. Or like Tomorrow Corp. Our good pals that we've never met at Tomorrow Corp. They, you know, Human Resource Machine, World of Goo, Little Inferno. They announced a couple days before the showcase that they're making a new game called Welcome to the Information Superhighway. That's a tentative name, at least. And they're saying it's their most game-like game of any game they've ever made. So, ever any game they've ever, ever, ever game, any game they've ever gamed. Uh, we don't know what that means exactly, but wouldn't the showcase have been a good place to debut it? They're very close to Nintendo. All their games are big hits on Nintendo platforms. Like, why would you not just use that opportunity? You have an audience. Nintendo hyped this thing a week in advance. You could totally have announced it there, even if it's just again a small tease, being like, "Hey, here's a." You know, ten seconds in Mac, just telling you tomorrow Corp's making something crazy and new and different. That would have been neat. Like e- even someone smaller. I mean, the dude I mentioned, Gunman Clive before. That did pretty well on Switch on uh, 3DS. It came to Wii U in HD collection. Huh? It had a sequel. He is now t- uh, tweeting well, screenshots. Yeah, it's made by a single. Person, it's made by a single guy. Single guy. Yeah, single dude. And he has started tweeting screenshots of his next project, which is Switchbound. I think. They could have at least thrown him a bone and be like, hey, the guy from Gum and Clyde is making something new. Like, there's so many, they could have sizzle reel this stuff. I don't know why they, why they didn't. I mean, I guess, I guess maybe these guys just weren't ready to show stuff off by GDC week. Like, I know that there's a crunch time with something like that. And if they're very early in development, perhaps that's why. But if not them, I can keep going. There are others that would have made sense. I mean, in the days, really the hours around the showcase, we got all sorts of other announcements that easily could have been in the presentation and easily would have generated like to see hype. something about Soccer Slammers. That would have been cool. Yeah, just because it's a multiplayer-centric game, and the more of those we get, the better. Yeah. I completely agree. But, um, yeah, or like, you know what game would have been good? Runner 3. Nintendo debuted Another run- rhythm game. Another rhythm game. It would have fit the trend. But no, Runner 3, like Nintendo... Runner 2, Nintendo hyped like crazy. Runner 3, I feel like they gave one trailer one time in one direct or showcase. I don't remember which. And then never again. But meanwhile, a couple days, maybe a day before the uh, showcase went live, uh, Choice Provisions announced, hey, Runner 3 is coming out May 22nd, which perfectly fits within the 60-90 day window of this showcase's you know focus. It's coming digitally to the eShop. It's coming physically by way of uh, Nicholas to stores. Two days after we come back from Malibu. That's true. Uh, you mean Miami. Sure. Yes, we are going to Miami in May. Uh, but it, um, yeah, like the game has a new trailer, new footage, new mode, new details on modes, and how like they're mixing up some of the gameplay from the last one. And the physical copy is actually pretty cool. Like it comes with a uh, full color instruction book with a three inch audio CD sampler thing, a PVC character that lights up, like all these little things. Like Nicholas is actually pretty good at throwing all sorts of little extra goodies into these, you know, higher cartridge cost packages. That, so they try and. They try and basically balance out the cost of the cartridge because it's going to be 40 bucks as a physical and it's probably less on the eShop, probably significantly less. So at least they give you these things. But like all that, all that stuff I just said, they could have just for a minute mentioned it in the showcase and would be like, oh, hey, Runner 3 got a new trailer in the showcase. That's cool. But n- nope, didn't do that either. I think actually, I think the one that bothers me most, like maybe Runner 3 isn't indie enough now that Nicholas is publishing it. Nicholas doesn't seem to get showcase coverage anymore. But the one that probably makes the least sense to me is Hyperlight Drifter. 
Hyperlife Drifter was announced as coming to Switch this summer in the Nindy Showcase window, right? In that 30-90 day period or whatever, let's say 120 days. Um, five minutes after the showcase. Why not just put it in the showcase? That would be the whole, that would be the game that people would be like, oh, that's an awesome game. I love it on the system I'm playing on. I'm excited to see he's it on, on Switch. Brawl though. He's in Brawl, he's not only in Brawl Out, you know what else he's in? Well, he's not in, he's on. Travis Touchdown Shirt in No More Heroes spinoff in the Travis Strikes Back game. He, like Hyper, uh, Hyper Light Drifter is very closely tied in with No More Heroes. It's with Brawl. It's even though the game's never been on Nintendo system, it's tied to these Nintendo related things. And they announced separately outside the showcase. Oh, by the way, we're bringing it to Switch. Like that could have been the big finale in the showcase. I don't understand that one. I really don't understand at all. Like that just seems like a weird. I don't know. I don't even know. But yeah, so I don't I actually I actually remember Hyperlight Drifters has such a weird history because I don't know if your call is originally a Kickstarter, right? Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, it was coming to Wii U at one point. It had to be, because we talked about it on the show. I wanna say like I don't even know what year it was, like twenty fourteen or something? Thirteen, fourteen, when it was announced as originally coming to Wii U. It was around the Shovel Knight. Yeah, it was around the same time, yeah. And I remember that we, because Wii U had so few games, like we, I feel like, sort of subconsciously now have a policy on the podcast of only talking about games that are actually being like made, like no Kickstarter projects until they're actually fully funded, and then the only maybe if it really catches our eye, because you know there's a lot of Kickstarters that like, oh, they started this and they have a stretch goal and it's going great, and that just bombs out, or they decide, or they cancel the project or whatever, and it's kind of like, well, that was cool, but it's basically a waste of breath with all, like retro, you know, looking back. But at that point with Wii U. We, we would take anything we could get because, you know, Wii U fans were starved. So I remember we talked about a lot of Kickstarter projects, and one of the first was Hyperlight Drifter, and I was actually pretty excited for it. And then it just got canceled on Wii U, and I was like, well, that's that. I only own Nintendo systems. Tough on me, I guess. But now it's coming to Switch. It's actually like, oh, great. It's actually it's back. It's back home. Good. So I'm actually pretty excited that it's coming to Switch. But, um, yeah, I don't know why they didn't close with that. I actually, frankly... There are two other games I would have loved to see in a showcase that I guarantee I like. I know why they're not in it. They like would have what? never believed. Wouldn't have made sense. One is, one is yeah. This was never gonna happen because it's Japan only right now. It's uh, its name translates to Fight Crab, and as it implies, it's a game where you fight crabs as other crabs. It's basically a crab fight club, and um, it's by a Japanese indie developer. Their name Nussoft. And they have supported Switch in the past. This game's not yet confirmed for Switch, but they did put a game on Switch previously, so I imagine it will be. But essentially, Fight Crab is like Godzilla Destroyer Monsters Melee on GameCube, which somehow we have now referenced that game twice in, within the month on the show, which is weird. But regardless, it's kind of like that. It's a third-person fighter where you're fighting as monsters, but these monsters are crabs. They're giant crabs, and they fight each other with weapons. Like, not just their pinchers. You can hold swords. You can hold throwing stars. You can hold guns. They just kind of charge at each other at these, as these big, hunkin' crabs. And that's the whole game. And it it it's, like, just the right amount of absurd um, to probably have gotten some sort of response in a showcase. Like, it's kind of like pool panic in terms of just, like, what? Like, so that, that could have been a cool thing to put in there. I mean, if nothing else, we would have gotten giant enemy crab beans coming out of it, and that would have helped build buzz. I don't know. It seems like it's such a ridiculous game that I just want to try it. I have no idea if it'll ever come stateside, but, but if, if you want a more, if you want a more realistic thing that I think would have been good in the showcase, there's a new racing game coming out called Grip, which I think actually would have been perfect. Like, I'm, I'm a lover of all, futuristic racers right like i i'm very happy that we but have you're falling out of love with red out well 
I'm in love with the genre. And I am slightly falling out of love with Red Out because I think Trailblazers is taking its place. But the fact that I could talk about Trailblazers, which is a Splatoon style, you paint the track as you go for your teammates racer, and Red Out, which is a normal racer, in the same breath as Fast Remix, all on one system, all in theory within uh, 18 to 24 months, that's pretty cool. Like having that many racing games, like futuristic racers at once is not something typical of a system or in general like just the genre just wasn't that big and now there's this fourth one coming into play that actually looks kind of neat because it too is very different like each of them are quite different so it's nice that this one this one's almost like mario kart mashed up with a futuristic racer it's actually if you ever heard of a ps1 game called roll cage where basically is it's kind of like their version of like a kart racer or like a need for speed but you can actually go up on the walls and the ceiling and whatnot and you used weapons and this is essentially an hd reimagining of that so it's a whole different type of futuristic racer that seems like it'd be ground switch. I mean, you basically, instead of having a vehicle that hovers, you have a vehicle with wheels. And because you have a vehicle with wheels, that means you can actually, like, touch terrain. So anything that your car can drive onto, it can actually drive along. So you can, like I said, go up a wall, drive on the ceiling, and you have a lot of explosive weapons to shoot at people. So, and the, uh, yeah, the whole environment basically becomes your track. And I imagine it's somewhat destructible because of the weapons you're shooting and all of that. So, like, something like that. I feel like we've been perfect to tease in the showcase. It's like it's by an independent developer. It's kind of called Wired Productions, exciting. and it's it's different from everything else. It just sounds kind of like crazy, and it's due out this year, so it could be a tease for later. I don't know why they why they didn't. I incur- I mean, the trailer they put out was literally a tease. Like you don't really see much of the actual gameplay. It's all in game. It looks like, but it's all like dramatic. It's like the Mario Kart trailers where they put you know all the camera angles that you never actually get to use in the game. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it just seems like that could have been something. That would have made sense in a showcase. I, I don't know. I, I realize it sounds like I'm just continually harping on this idea of piling more into the showcase. And it's because I am. That's why it sounds like it. But um, it's just because I want these new news to do well. Like it's, We've heard the success stories so much about how there's all these indies on Switch. They brought a game to Switch, and they saw huge numbers. I mean, at GDC, Nintendo was sitting there touting how impressive eShop game sales are. They, For the first time ever, uh, they have a system where digital sales of third-party games on a Nintendo platform have eclipsed those of physical games. Like, it actually happened. Nintendo has converted more people into buying digital than physical. And a lot of that, obviously, is being driven by indie games that are only available digitally. But there's so many of them, and they're selling so well that it's actually swung the pendulum away from physical copies of stuff, which is, of course, Nintendo's dream. I mean, especially for this kind of console, buying them digitally is much, much more better. Much more, much more convenient. So much more better. Yep, more better. <laughs> more better. Betterer. I was going to say more convenient, but somehow I just switched to better. In well, better second. is, I mean, convenience is part of making it better. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. not you're not wrong. But yeah, and the thing is, like, there's still, you know, there's still tons of one-off examples, like, of just these crazy tales of how good these games are doing. I mean, we talked about before, way back uh, when it first came out, Blossom Tales. Game I've never heard of. Game you never heard of. Somehow sold Super Wall on Switch, and now it's come out. The developers tweeted a couple weeks ago. The game sold 20 times its total Steam revenue on Switch in just the past three months. 20 times. And it's a game I've never still, mind, except the time we last talked about sales, I've never heard of or talked about. And it sold 20 times. Is it fair to say that their sales on Steam were at least decent? Or were they at they were 20 at least, times zero to zero? I, I imagine it's at least decent, but I'll put it this way. They said that the, this boost they got is keeping them in business. They were going to go under if they didn't oh, get this wow. boost. So I'm guessing it wasn't great on Steam. That is so nice to hear. But yeah, like it's cool that Switch is able to kind do that. Kind of heartwarming. Right? 
and neither of us own it, so we're not even responsible. But it's still nice to hear. As Switch owners, yeah, we're that's part like, of the community of people that it, made it possible. It's nice to hear that through the influx of games that we're getting, that there are still people that can support these developers when we can't. Yeah, and like likewise, <laughs> not that we were like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> I know because like, we're the like one for thing. only a dollar a day, you too could support a developer. Just call one eight hundred five five five. No, but it's um. Yeah, it's it's just nice to see her. Like, there's this uh, PC Gamer article that came out, uh, I want to say last week maybe, and they were interviewing a bunch of different indie developers about how their games are doing on Switch versus Steam specifically, kind of like the Blossom Tale scenario. And the numbers are just kind of nuts. Like, the guys that did Darkest Dungeon, they said that 32 days of sales on Switch have already made up 7%. That's 7, just single-digit 7% of the company's lifetime revenue. So in a month... They made nearly a tenth of their entire revenue as a company off just the Switch version of a game. Now, again, we don't know what the metric is that they're working off of, but still, that's another impressive number. Or like Team Meat, they're saying they're shocked that their eight-year-old port of Super Meat Boy on Switch saw 15% of the sales it saw the day it debuted on PC eight years ago when it had all the hype behind it. They could release it eight years later on Switch and get 15% of that money pretty much on the fly, like on the spot. They didn't expect anywhere near that. And that's not, you know, that's a small number, but the fact that there's that many people responding to that old of a game just because it's on Switch, like this doesn't matter well, where your game it was is. never on a Nintendo console, even though it was yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, Wii U. But yeah. yeah, it's just like there's all these tales. Like in all, somewhere around 76% of indies are claiming that their Switch versions have matched or exceeded sales on other platforms. And that's a stat straight from Nintendo, courtesy of a, a speech by uh, Damon Baker of the showcase, their indie guru, their indie head. So he he also actually shared something kind of interesting. Um, top ten eShop sellers, top ten indie games on the eShop since Switch came out. He didn't give any actual numbers or any order to the list. Really, he just there's ten games, but it's it's the the variety is actually pretty interesting. I mean, I can I can just realm realm off real quick. It's SteamWorld Dig Two, Stardew Valley, Kamiko, which I never would have guessed would be in the top ten. Uh, it's I mean it's, I'm sure it's a fun game, but like that had no real buzz around it. You know what I mean? Um, Celeste, Fast Remix, Golf Story, Enter the Gungeon, Overcooked Special Edition, NBA Playgrounds, somewhat surprisingly. That's an indie game? Uh, yes. I believe they got the license from the NBA, but they are an independent company. Yeah. They're not like part 2K or anything. Mm. And uh, and Shovel Knight, of course, Treasure Trove. So, so that's close to the same, but I guess since Microsoft bought Minecraft, that's like no longer. No, it's not yeah. indie. Yeah, Mojang's not indie. Um, but yeah, what I do want to point about that list, like that's a pretty varied list. Like there's a little something for everyone there. But what I do want to point out is as great as it is to see Celeste and Enter the Gungeon show up on there. I mean, they've only been out a couple months. months, but that's the thing. They're the only two games on that list that were released in the last four months. Like I remember I said earlier, I pulled uh, how many games were pulled since December 1st and I counted and it's 220 games. That means out 220 games, two of them did well enough to crack a top 10. A bunch probably did somewhere in the middle, but a lot probably didn't really make a dent. Like, given how many Switches are out there and how many more games are available to choose from, one could argue that it's going to become even harder and harder going forward for developers to find the success of a game like, inexplicably, NBA Playgrounds. Like, honestly, nothing against NBA Playgrounds. I know it's going for the NBA Jam vibe, but I know the Switch version had some serious issues and they had to like basically release a gold version that was a patch, but it's actually a whole new game and it's all confusing. But if that game didn't come out within two months of the Switch's launch, where are the odds it wouldn't be in that top ten? Like, as more games come, where are the odds that a lot of these are in the top ten literally would just well, not be in the low. top ten? Yeah, it's just... like, And the problem is it's just going to keep growing. One in three 
developers at GDC said in a survey, in an official GDC survey, they are interested in Switch. One in three. So even if only half of them bring games, that's still a ton, hundreds of games. Like, that's a lot. And it's for this reason, and this reason alone, that I've been harping so much on the showcase and what Nintendo chose to show. Because as of right now, exposure is limited. Like, you either get good buzz online if you're lucky, or if Nintendo decides to include you in their curated listings on the eShop homepage, then you get some buzz. Or, you know, they put you in the News app. Maybe that one's even harder. Like, I remember we talked about how Jules Watson, like, he was hoping Chicken Wiggle, or not Chicken Wiggle, um, Mute Muds Deluxe would end up in the News app, and it didn't. And he couldn't even get a tweet from Nintendo, and the game didn't do well until he put it on sale. But then when he put it on sale, it went up a huge, like, there's a huge jump in uh, purchases. Yeah, apparently I'm satisfied with it. Yeah, so... That's my point. You need exposure, and sometimes that requires sale, but if you lean on Nintendo, you really don't have much. So, like, they're apparently working on an eShop revamp for the future. That was confirmed at GEC. They're going to do something to make things better, but we don't know when that will be, which means for now, you have a situation where, on the one hand, Nintendo highlighting a game in the showcase is really smart for the current situation Indies are in because every game shown was an unannounced game that never had any attention given, and now they get a boosted profile. But choosing not to then stack on top of that with even more games to fill at least the 20 or 30 minutes they used to do, that just becomes baffling to me. Like, I don't really know why they wouldn't do that. So, especially since, as of right now, the only way as a developer to boost your exposure is A, a sale, as we were just saying, or B, release a demo. But a demo takes time, and a demo takes money, and a demo is a lot more work. So, it, it works when you do it. I mean, the Death Squared guys... They were sharing on Reddit that when they put out a demo of Death Squared, their sales went up 300% on the eShop. So it definitely works. But, it yeah, you have to invest in that. And, I mean, it, it there's a lot of games that I've never even heard of that are in the demo section of the eShop. So for now, this does seem like kind of a little, like, life hack of sorts. Like, isn't there one you were just playing? Yeah, I ended up playing a game called um, Embers of Miram. What is that? Like, I've never even heard of that. But because in the demo section, now we get to talk about it. Like, the see funny thing is works? that um, <laughs> I hadn't even looked at the title when I first started playing it because I just handed you the controller and just said, just play this game. But you only played, like, maybe, like, ten minutes before but what, we decided what, to stop. But What is it? <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's a... I guess it's a not it's not very artsy, but it's a... It's a 2D platformer. But... It has a really weird, I guess, gimmick where you have, I guess you control two characters at once, but I'll just explain. Well, first you start with some weird quadruped. It's not quite a dog. It's not quite a cat. <laughs> it's some sort of creature that can glide when you hold down the jump button. And eventually, so you're playing as this creature for about 20 minutes, jumping over obstacles, climbing stuff, mm-hmm. and... Eventually, you get into this castle, and then you get this ability to turn into a ball of energy. And and when you're in this ball of energy, you could move in any direction. And keep in mind, this is a 2D space, so up, down, left, right. Sure. And so you essentially fly for a very limited amount of time. And this creature is color-coded green. And so anytime you enter, like, a green great kind of deal, it's like a gate. You stay in this ball of light permanently until you get out of that gate, and it's like almost like a little maze. Sometimes huh. it's weird, and then you and then there's this other creature that's color coded purple that has kind of the same abilities as the other one, and at some point they fuse together. So you're controlling this one creature that's a mixture of the two, but whenever you go into your ball of light form, you control both of these entities separately. 
So with one stick, you control the purple one, and with the right stick, you control the green one. I see why so it needs a demo. So, so yeah, <laughs> so 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 you start getting to this whole split brain kind of thing because a lot of the puzzles depend on you have to take your green ball of energy into the green path and then the purple one into the purple path, and you have to navigate essentially mazes where you're moving one control stick left and right to dodge obstacles, and you're also dodging different types of obstacles with the other control stick. And then whenever you get through those obstacles, you fuse back into your quadruped and you continue you continue doing these platforming segments where sometimes you have to jump over platforms that fall the moment you touch them, but then halfway through your jump, you have to split into your ball of energy mode to go through another little mini maze and then reform on the other side to go through more platforms. Actually, sounds kind of fun. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. How, how much? I mean, so how long? Well, one, how long is the demo? Oh I God. mean, I guess it's enough to get a sense of how the it demo works. Demo is really long. Oh, it, if, that's nice. I don't know. It felt like it was almost an hour or something. And and the game's what? I don't know how long the game is. No, no, uh, price. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to think it's in the twenties. Actually, forgot to check. But I don't know. The, a lot of it is really well done, like the puzzles and just like the way you control both of them, because mm-hmm. it does start pretty simple and then it just gets harder and harder, almost until like. It's funny because this is all within the demo. Like, it felt like there were some parts that were kind of unfairly difficult. There is a boss in fight. In the demo? Yeah. Interesting. There is a boss fight towards the end that is really annoying. Like, I felt like the only way, the only reason I was able to beat it, because they also set it to the hardest difficulty. Sure. There's multiple difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, the boss fight essentially has you, there's like another creature just like shooting lasers at you from the middle, from the top middle of the screen. And you have to use a green path and a red and a purple path on opposite ends of the screen to get to him so that you could jump on him and attack him. Mm-hmm. But these paths have these electrical balls going back and forth and it's really, really, really hard to split your brain to try to dodge those electrical balls with the purple one while also trying to dodge the electrical balls with the green one because they're not 100% synced. Right. So you can't exactly do the exact same motions with both your fingers while dodging lasers that the creature is shooting at you. So the only way I found to beat it, it ended up being an easy way to beat it, but I don't think it was the way it was intended, mm-hmm. was that there was a period where right when, I guess when you die, and the fight is about to properly start, you can jump into where the field will be and turn into your light mode and kind of get a head start. And then as soon as the fields appear where your paths will be, I guess nothing moves for about like a few seconds, which gives you enough time, enough time to, to swoop in. Yeah, to swoop in. You might have to do like one or two quick dodges, but yeah, you swoop in and just deal the damage and do that. It was still hard even with that, right. but yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the game. I mean, visually, it's a little rough around the edges. It's your, I mean, it's just a 3D polygon game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has, it, it's kind of going for a realistic environmental art style with I mean the characters themselves are just mythical creatures I mean I don't know what they're supposed to be quadrupeds yeah they're mythical quadrupeds but... that's my favorite Greek myth the myth of the quadrupeds <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're like mythical looking quadrupeds but the environments look realistic or they're right. modeled to, like, to be realistic right right and I mean the frame rate isn't always the nicest but I don't know the game ended up growing on me towards the end and, and that's the thing is like you never would have even known this existed if this developer didn't say, okay, I'm going to give myself extra exposure by like putting it in the I mean, demo the section. name caught my eye first because I'm like Embers of Mirror. I'm like, this sounds like some super nerdy RPG thing or whatever. You, you know, did like, describe it as featuring quadrupeds, so it's pretty up there in the nerd spectrum. <laughs> well, I mean, I know, what I else know. do you call a four legged creature? Four legged creature? Quadrupeds are pretty 
solid science term, which I appreciate immensely. But I'm just saying it's a very um, science term. I, I guess um, it, it, you use it a lot in animation. It's like, oh, uh, you're no using your bipedal walk or your right. quadruped walk or blah, blah, blah. I'm going to – by the way, when we get to the Kirby Star impression, so you, pay, you play the pink bipedal puffball. The sphere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, – yeah, but like you're kind of proving my point that like we now have spent a good couple minutes talking about a game that we never heard of. We no no one like there wouldn't have been exposure for anyway, but by a lot of places. But because these guys are sort of circumventing Nintendo's little weird yeah. system, so I mean, thanks to this demo, like I don't know, I'm like considering getting it. The only reason I haven't or yeah, haven't fully committed to it is because of just the timing. Like there is just no time to play the actual There's game. Too much stuff. So it's another one of those games. I, I did add it to my wish list so that whenever I don't know, have like the more time to play or some more games are taken off my to yeah. beat list, like I'll probably check it out. Or if it's on sale, I'll just get it. Yeah, and Tunitown's credit actually, the sale section they added to the eShop a few months ago probably is a huge boost for love. Yeah, I mean the Mute Mutt series I mean, talking about thanks to that. Yeah, really. and anything that pops up on like on the Anytime you click one of those like headings, any game that just pops up there like autom- like immediately gets attention. So, yeah, yeah, which is you know life like life hack number two for how yeah. to work the eShop. And and like to be fair, I'm not trying to discredit the successes that already exist or say they're flukes or say they're abnormal. Like Nintendo has, Nintendo had and still has a lot going for them with Switch and with the indie scene on Switch. It's, it'll just be interesting to see how it changes because like you're talking about you know there's not enough time to play all the games and there's not and like. As more people come to Switch, like, how's that going to affect things? Like, in theory, more people means there are more eyeballs potentially on your game. But if your game's not easy to find, like, what's that mean? So what will, what will be success for indies on the Switch in the future? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting to see, you know, as the ex- install base grows, how this all plays out. Um, I, I mean, one thing we're not even considering is this first year, Nintendo kind of had some added luck on their side because Switch owners as a whole are very hardcore about their gaming. Like, the the... the early adopter demographic is obviously i'd say one that's more in the loop on games in general like they are more of a traditional hardcore gamer but there's recently some data that came out i'm trying to remember from who it's some analytics firm it's like e-e-d-a-r or e-e-d-a-r or something like that and basically yeah basically what they found is they they have like it's also like nielsen where they have like a, a group that they sort of do a bunch of focus tests on and extrapolate with algorithms to take a sense of the general switch population in this case and they found that switch owners actually are more likely not just to game on their switches but to play more mobile games and spend more money in mobile games as well so in other words like the people who are buying switches versus people who buy ps4 or xbox at least in the first year are like gamers in like the truest sense like they are dedicated to the craft of gaming like they're not just like oh i love my switch and i'm playing that but they they seem to know all about everything everywhere and they're like i'm buying this mobile game and playing this mobile game and doing that in-app purchase and buying this over here on switch and playing this on switch so exhibit a jason yeah i wouldn't quite go that that far i mean i don't know i mean well it depends on how you define a gamer i guess like how how do you define a gamer in that case because I, I i would say i'm like a very hard i'm obviously very I guess I'm stupid, but I'm very versed in the gaming where I know all the stuff going I mean, on. You're a gaming enthusiast. You don't think I, I'm a gamer? Because technically, all it takes to be a gamer I don't, I don't, is I don't like think, yeah, you know like, gaming gamer, at any level. Like, every, yeah, that's right. Everyone's a gamer. Like I guess I don't know. I, I'll agree. I'm not like a hardcore. I'm not like the dude that sits. I'm not like Ninja on Twitch who sits no, there no, playing Fortnite right. for I think hours that word, and then Drake calls in. I'm not that. <laughs> I mean, ba- back in the day when the NES and I would even argue, I guess Super Nintendo. I don't know, I feel like 
it was easier to just describe like a gamer than someone that just plays games. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like that's changed so much. Like there's like so many different like subgenres of it, and people play like 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 you for example. Like you're you actively keep up with the gaming like scene. You buy pretty much every game that Nintendo puts out. A large majority. You buy every AAA game that Nintendo puts out. Accurate. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, you play as much as you can when you can. I mean, that's not always a lot, but, I mean, you do. Yeah. And But, I mean, does that make you any less of a gamer than someone that actually beats every single game? It's, like, probably not, because that's not really fair, but... It, it's interesting know, because it, it's you're weird. sort of... I think you're honest on because, like, even now when I was describing the gamers to make my point about how, like, the demographic Nintendo fell into is, like help boost all these indie games i kept saying like oh they're the hardest of the hardcore the truest of the true like i had to like qualify it because gamer as a term is like we don't necessarily call movie watchers movie watch. it's not like you know it's not like the oh there's this about- category of people that watch movies like no everyone watches movies and then there's film buffs or there's like cinephiles yeah because film buffs and cinephiles they're the ones that like will actively seek out like I don't know, really old films or films that, like, most people haven't seen or, like, p- basically films that you don't find in theaters. Yeah. Like, films that, yeah, get, like, in- indie films. Yeah, but, like, movies. everyone watches movies just, like, everyone plays games. Yeah. So, yeah, I get, I get your point. Like, gamer and, as and, a and, term. And movies, for the most part, like, I mean, you go to a movie, you sit down, and you actually finish it every time. Gaming is interesting in the fact that some games are so long that most people don't even really finish them because they just yeah. don't have time. I know plenty of people that are just busy that just never really get to finish their games and it's a shame because some games like especially when a lot of my friends like i want to talk to them about them by the way a lot of his friends is code for me he specifically has told me he wants to talk to me about games but since i never beat them it frustrates him immensely (laughs) yeah because it's like i want to talk about the end he's like no don't spoil it and i'm like well yeah Yeah. no i i'm somewhat spoiler and it's funny i and now that i think about it i don't even think like if someone says like or well i never in instances where I talk about, like, I like video games, I never say I'm a gamer. Like, if someone's like, oh, what are your hobbies? I'm not like, I'm a gamer. I'm always like, oh, I'm a huge Nintendo nerd. Like, that's my go-to phrase. I'm a Nintendo nerd. No, Which doesn't even necessarily say I play Nintendo games. It's just I'm into Nintendo on a nerdy level, which is beyond true as evident by the roughly 300 hours of podcasting we've been doing over the last however many years. Yeah, so and, and then, it's, it's weird. Like, you know, gamer and, and, and is then, maybe and, an antique the, term now. Yeah, I don't think... I think the word gamer just has to be... Phased out. Yeah, phased out completely. Because then you also have... Like, just look at the fighting game community. You have some people that exclusively play one type of game. Like, if you have someone that only plays Street Fighter, it's like, is he a gamer? He doesn't play any other game. But Street Fighter, like, yeah, he plays a video game, but he just plays fighting games. And not even all fighting games. There's people that literally just play Hearthstone. Are they just stoners? Or are they, like... Stoners. (laughs) I mean, like... I don't know. They this, have, you know, the, her, the, sto- the Hearthstone stoners have their own holiday. It's when Labo comes out on 420. <laughs> <laughs> essentially, I, I agree with you. Like, it comes down to you just have to use those specific descriptors. It's like, like oh, like, there yeah, are no gamers. An, it's just like, it's just how they play It's the an game. antiquated term. I said antique yeah. term before. I meant antiquated, obviously. But, yeah. it's no, like, yeah, I play games. Yeah, yeah. It's basically why. And, and not only that, but, like. There's data from, you know, the ESA and all those lobby groups that the video game industry has where it's like, oh, yeah, like half of America's gamers and half of those gamers are middle-aged women. It's like, what? It's like, oh, because, you know, the puzzle games, which, by the way, Bejeweled. Because a lot of people like – yeah, because like – I mean we're in the camp where we're like, yeah, like we should deal with that term because everyone that plays games is technically a gamer. That's what I was about to say. But then there's all those people that are like, oh, those aren't real games. You're not a real gamer. That's not a game. Yeah, and I was about to say like Bejeweled totally counts as a real game. Like if you're – 
you know, a 35-year-old stay-at-home mom and you're playing Bejeweled or, or Castle or Clash of Clans. I don't say Castle Clashers. No 35-year-old mom. Well, maybe one's playing Castle Crashers on an Xbox 360 somewhere. But if you're playing like Clash of Clans or Pokemon Go or whatever it may be, yeah, technically you're a gamer and that's really cool. Yeah, you're part they, of our hobby. Great. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's 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 such a vague term now that. And then there's all those sense. people that literally just play like antique arcade cabinets because they're trying to be yeah. world records and nothing else. Yeah, like they don't play anything that's made after 1990. But technically, they're gamers too. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. It's, it's almost like you need subsets. I will say that the any, to be honest, anyone that's in the mindset that oh they're not playing real games so they're not real gamers they're just hurting yeah, they're just the hurt thing. yeah they're hurting the th- it's, it's venturing dangerously close to the whole gamer gate craziness like it's to say something like that like oh in my hobby it means you play this it's like well by definition a gamer is just you they game which is why the term doesn't work anymore because it's everyone games like yeah like you know like they're, everyone eats and they're foodies who are enthusiasts about eating so unless you, you we come up with a term for gamer that's in Enthusiast about a gamey. I don't know, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a turn up. Yeah, I mean, anymore. yeah, and and that's not to say that we shouldn't have standards at some point. Yeah, and there could be levels to it, but you just yeah. can't like 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 you can't say someone doesn't isn't a gamer just because they don't play your game. But yeah. that's which why that's why the term dead. Is, yeah, which yeah, is what we're saying. Say exactly. I will say though, um, yeah, like like Jason, for example, like I I shouldn't expect them to beat every single game. I would like. He'd <laughs> like me to be at least one or two. Yeah, so. I, I'm, I'm hoping that he'll at least be one or two a year. Maybe he'll try to. One be... time we had listener, we had to bribe listeners to get me to be a game, or not yeah. bribe listeners, make a bet with listeners. I don't even think we had to bribe them. I think we just asked them. So we told them this to pick a game for me to beat between a few options, and then we said if I didn't beat it, we would we give away a gift card to one person randomly, and if I didn't beat it, we give away two gift cards. And I didn't want to pay out of pocket for two, so I'd be it. So I was like, I was bribed in revert. I was like. Blackmailed? Blackmailed by me on behalf of the Like, listeners. I'm going to say, like, if Jason doesn't beat one game by the end of... Actually, by this time next year, so... Um, I guess we'll say April 1st, 2019. Oh, great April Fool's joke. Okay, yeah. Oh. No, 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 continue. It's fine. That actually kind of works. Because um, the joke is, wow, he actually beat... Jason never beats his game. April Fool's, I beat one. Then I'll resign as co-host. That's the whole game. Well, that's fine because I'll beat one between now and then, and you won't have to resign. See, I think that's, that's right. I'm not even worried. I know you. He's blackmailing. I, I, I know you'll beat. He's blackmailing I, me, and I've record on audio recording of the blackmail. I know you'll beat Telltale's Batman. I haven't even started that. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like a TV I don't show. Think, I don't even think like you. It. You'll love it. I don't even think you'll get so into it. You'll beat it like in the evening. I don't even think you knew I owned that game until I put that Instagram up. On the Switch channel. No, I, I knew you did. Oh, no, it was Elvis that didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I was the one that told him, like, oh, yeah, see that game? He hasn't opened it. No, it is opened. I haven't played it. It's Ugh. opened. <laughs> I'm, actually, that's one thing I make sure to do. And again, this is, you know, maybe, <laughs> I make sure but... to break the wrapping. No, no, no. The, every game that I buy, I at least make sure it's open. And I try and play at least what Batman fell through cracks. But I do try legitimately. That's because you bought it on a sale, right? I like, bought it on like a sale. And it randomly you... showed up the same week as Doom. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, but, yeah, no, but generally I do try and play games, and I do try and play like you know when we do impressions here on the show. It's not like I'm playing like five minutes and be like, well, I'm just gonna make up the rest. Like I do actually. That's why we call them impressions, though. Little tip of the trade with the podcast. We call them impressions because, like, you know, in the case of some of the stuff you play or what I play, you it, sometimes the turnaround's really fast and we don't get a chance to finish it. Sometimes we go out of our way to finish it, and then we always emphasize it. You do that when you actually beat the game. Like, yeah, I actually played it all the way through. But that's why they're impressions. If anyone's ever wondering, because it's just. As we're making our way through, what we think of it. So, yeah. So yeah. Um, 
But yeah, this I'm... actually all segues really nicely into adjacent sales corner because apparently I'm more of an armchair analyst, game enthusiast, and a true gamer, which is our naughty <laughs> word now. Don't assume my gender. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a game fluid, but um, <laughs> at least according to you. So um, let me really relish in that role of being just an enthusiast armchair analyst and share some new numbers, courtesy of February's MPD. But that was actually a really interesting little conversation we just had. But um, yeah, I think I mean, you're the... better than Michael Pachter. Thanks. Yeah. I take pride in that. Actually, no, Michael Pactor was spot on. He once said Nintendo could sell a box with their name on it, like a cardboard box with their name on it, and people would buy it. And then five years later, Labo was announced. And in about a month, he'll be proven right that Is people he will still buy it. He's still at Wedbush. Working? He's still at Wedbush Morgan. Um, for those who don't know who we're talking about, he was an analyst. I mean, analyst. Game Trailers went under, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he was an analyst that used to be on Game Trailers, for those who don't know who we're talking about, who basically always gave bold predictions to the point where he got his own show called Pack Attack. Um, and most of the time, he just bashed Nintendo. I mean, rightfully, given their business decisions at the time. Yeah, because he's doing it from, like, a business person's he's, perspective. Yeah, he's so, looking at strictly business. So no one's actually ever, like, be, like, insulted or, like, oh, my God. But, like, Yeah, but honestly, often he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, and as, like, someone, like, from the business world that's only looking at it from a certain perspective. Yeah, exactly. But it, I, I thought it was kind of interesting just to hear, like... I enjoyed his show, Yeah, like, some, yeah, just, just, yeah like, I keep using that word, but his perspective. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, you don't really hear that that often from someone that's, like, from other gamers. It, I'm using that word again, but, yeah. Gamers, how dare you? We are beyond from other that. other people that avidly that. play video games. This is a post-gamer world we live in. Yeah. Yeah. We are game fluid. But, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little pactory here for a minute and talk about the sales in February. Um, He, me, it, the Switch is what I'm trying to say. The Switch, uh... New milestone, new record. It is now officially uh, the biggest install base of any console in its first year in U.S. history. So in 12 months, Switch has more people owning it than any other system did in its 12 months, first 12 months ever in the game industry in America. So um, that that's kind of a big deal. Like we knew it was coming. It was already selling the fastest. But to have it be that big is a kind of big deal. And it's not just here where it's happening either. Over in Japan, it's reported that Switch has already sold 3.8 million units in a single year, which, just for the record, is triple the PS4's first year. So I, I think it's kind of like the perfect storm for Switch that led to this. I'm going full pack attack here, Pactor mode. Here we go. I think, honestly, though, I think it's, um, I think they're like two separate but simultaneous things that help Nintendo do really well with Switch. Like in the West, Nintendo gets to leverage the console-like experience you get to play on the go now. Like, oh, it's a home console, but you can take it anywhere. I mean, it's what like it's why games like Bayonetta 2, which, you know, didn't do particularly well um, on the Wii U, it actually made the February top 20 of U.S. software sales overall. It was the 14th bestseller in February in the U.S., period. Never charted on Wii U. Uh, now, to be fair... It was overshadowed by the evergreen Switch tiles. I mean, Mario Kart 8 came in at number 9. Uh, Mario Odyssey came in at number 10. Breath of the Wild was number 12. But if you look at the Switch-specific game chart, this idea that like some of these console experiences, but now on the go as a selling point for a system, does hold true because you see a game like Skyrim on there. And Skyrim, it's still in the top 10 for a fourth consecutive month now among Switch games. Obviously, Nintendo's evergreen stuff tops it. But still, like you have these games that are... Western oriented or well, Bana isn't exactly, but they're you know they're console experiences and they're helping prop up Switch even more. So that that's a plus. If you're curious, Dragon Quest Builders, also a console console experience. It was on the Switch only chart, barely coming in at number ten. It was bested by Arms at number nine. Does make you wonder what that actually means for Dragon Quest Builders since Arms is kind of you know it's had some recent stagnation in sales. So I don't know if that means 
builders bombed or what, but it is on the top 10 of Switch, just barely. But, you know, that all helps Switch here, all the console experiences. But then in Japan, the reason I think, like, its numbers are so crazy over there is its momentum is carried almost by the inverse of what's happening here. So here in America, it's all about the console you can take on the go. In Japan, I would argue it's more of the handheld you can also play at home on your TV because in Japan, they just love handheld machines. Like, handhelds sell significantly more than consoles over there, hence why Switch has sold triple in its first year at PS4 sold. But it 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 just seems like Switch is kind of taking the handheld route in Japan opposed to the console route in terms of sales numbers. And I'd actually expect to see Switch overall have more legs long-term akin to what we're used to seeing with like the 3DS or past Nintendo handhelds um, than bottom out like the Wii did after a few years or Wii did basically from year two. Like it seems – at least you know, at least that's the hope that Switch will do that. But it seems yeah. it seems like in Japan it's on that right track. I mean it also helps in Japan that like the number one selling game in 2018 so far has been Splatoon 2. So that's obviously propelling it even further. But but for uh, for a time being, besides just in Japan, here in the States, Nintendo's just raking in money. I mean, back on the February MPD specifically, Nintendo was actually the top game publisher in terms of money earned in the month of February. This was a month where Capcom, by the way, dominated the sales chart. Monster Hunter uh, World, number one game in February. Um, Capcom actually has gone on record saying it's their best-selling game ever, wow. which is nuts. And similarly... The success of Monster Hunter has actually helped drive, driven, uh, it helped to drive PS4 sales back up, and PS4 is the number one selling console in February, dethroning Switch, which has had for a month or two now. So, you know, there's a lot of motion going on, but even with that, Nintendo's still making a ton of money. Number one, like I said, number one uh, publisher of the month in terms of money earned, and Nintendo's own games are actually single-handedly helping software sales. So year over year, software sales went up 24%, February last year, February this year. And MPD says that the gains in Switch spending specifically are what offset a decline across all other platforms. So even though Monster Hunter World's is number one game, it was all of Nintendo's other stuff combined that boosted the industry's software sales up as a whole, which is kind of nuts. Like Nintendo single-handedly did that. So it's even more impressive, actually, when you pair that with Nintendo saying, as we discussed earlier, that uh, digital third-party sales are now exceeding physical retail sales. So that means Nintendo's doing that boost of 24% without even, like, all their sales happen. Like, the minority of the sales are happening on physical. The majority is happening on digital, and they're still boosting at 24%. Like, just imagine what that means if we had access to the digital sales numbers. Like, it'd, it'd probably be insane. So the, the, the takeaway here... Uh, Really what I'm getting at is Nintendo's really rocking it right now. Like, they show no real signs of playing up. I mean, in March, when the chart comes out, we're going to be back with a more mainstream game like Kirby Star Allies. I'm curious to see how that does. And then it's Nintendo Labo, DK Tropical Freeze, Hyrule Warriors, Mario Tennis, uh, Aces, like, all that. April, May, June, it just kind of stacks. So it's going to be interesting to see where Switch goes from here. But Nintendo, you know, they weren't number one in anything in February, but except money earned. But in terms of charts, they didn't chart at the top of anything, but they're still trucking along and breaking records. So Nintendo's doing good. And thus concludes Armchair Analyst Gamer Not Gamer Jason's Sales Corner. Whoa. But but speaking of Kirby, rather nicely brings us to what we're gonna be playing or what we've been playing, and for me that's been Kirby Star Allies. But before we get to that, I'm actually rather curious, since we were talking about Nindy so much this episode, do you how about you take the lead? Wanna take the lead with Castle of Heart, which uh for those who don't listen to every episode of our show, first, shame on you. Second, 
Castle of Heart actually has a bit of backstory here because that was one of the games a few episodes ago we decided to highlight some lesser-known nindies, specifically because of the exposure problem we were talking about. And one of the games that you picked out was Castle of Heart. And now that you've played it, got asked how how is it? Does it is it was it worth the attention? Is it good? Is it bad? Mm. What are your thoughts? Uh, I guess it's not as great as I was hoping it would be, but it's still still fun. It, I don't know, it's weird. It's definitely one of those games that um, it does live up to it lives up to one of the things that it. There's a few things that it promised. According uh-huh. to like the description and what, what we knew about it, we were intrigued about the fact that it's a difficult, it's a difficult 2D platformer, like akin to like some old school difficult platformers. But the what caught our attention was the fact that if you take enough damage, you lose your appendages like permanently. So. Right, I remember that. Yeah, and that affects what wep- like how you carry an attack with other weapons. And throughout the entire time, you're constantly losing health. So, inevitably, you will break your appendage. At least like, it seemed based on like this kind of description. Right. But it turns out that, I guess, the permanent loss of your appendage wasn't very permanent. In fact, you usually get it back almost right away. Like, same in the same level? Or do yeah, you at least in, have in, to in finish the same the level. level. Oh, interesting. Um, the, I guess there's a... So it's basically taking damage versus yeah. an actual long-term... Yeah, because yeah. all it is really is um, when you have all your appendages and really you only ever lose your arm, your right arm, and that's it. I mean, your left arm. Because you can carry two two weapons. So when you're pretty much down to your last like 20% of health, that's when you can only carry your sword, and that's it. You can't use your secondary weapon. And whenever you're above that 20% of health, then you have your both arms, and you mm-hmm. can use both weapons. So I was kind of disappointed to see that it wasn't that, but I mean, realistically, I guess that mechanic would have been kind of crazy to do. I've only seen one game tackle that, and that was, I forgot what it's called, like something of the damned, or it was like by the Killer 7 developer, where you actually do lose your limbs. Oh, and at yeah, one point, by um, Suda 51. Yeah, and at some point, you're literally just the head rolling around. <laughs> but, yeah, so it, it didn't do that, and it's interesting, because the game is kind of like, it reminds me of Doom, in the sense that you're I mean, I've, I'm, I've also been playing that game courtesy of borrowing it from Jason. But that game, like, you're constantly losing health, but every time you glory kill a an enemy, you get some health back. And this yeah. game is kind of the same. You Every time you kill an enemy, you get some health back. Well, this you, one's a two, 2.5D platform versus a first-person shooter, right? Yeah. Just just for those who are visualizing Doom now, just to reel you back. Yeah, so, there's, <laughs> so you're constantly fighting enemies. Enemies are all over the place. They take a few hits to kill. You have to make sure you block their attacks because since you're already losing health at a gradual pace, taking additional hits just expedites that. And every time you defeat enemies, you get some health back. And mm-hmm. there's also bigger chunks of health floating around in areas that give you a good chunk of health back. So getting your limbs back never really felt like an issue but I don't know I, I guess the controls this is one of the games where you kind of have to you really have to take your time with it because towards the beginning I want to say like the first three levels maybe like I was I guess I wasn't really enjoying it too much because I guess I was playing it yeah, partly I guess I was just playing it wrong mm-hmm. because I was treating it kind of like alright it's like a like a hard 2D platformer I'm just going to try to bolt through it but the controls are kind of 
kind of sluggish. Everything moves kind of slow. It takes the character forever to swing his sword. But in, in the end, you realize that it's all intentional. You're supposed to like really take your time with it. You're supposed to go slowly. You're supposed to make sure you're blocking all the attacks. Sometimes he's it a is a knight after. Or no, yeah, he's, I mean he's he a knight. knight. I mean he's, he's a, a knight. Yeah, he's a knight made of stone. Right. So eventually, yeah, like you do realize that yeah, it does kind of feel like I am this like stone knight that can actually jump pretty high, but that has like slower moves. It's kind of like Monster Hunter in the sense that the attacks don't come out like super mm-hmm. quick and automatic. They're intentionally delayed to make you feel the weight of everything. Sure. And once I started playing that way, then. I actually started to like enjoy the game a lot more and appreciate the fact that like you do you can't just like rush through the whole thing. It's nice because that distinguishes it from so many other platformers on Switch and in general. Yeah, like, it, there's not like slow methodical platformers really in yeah. that sense. And like there are like times where you do have to kind of choose like fight or flight. Like yeah, uh-huh. fight or, yeah, fight or run away. And you can't really run away too far anyway because I mean you're not the fastest person. You do have this role that. It lets you travel a decent distance, but once you're in that role, you you can't cancel out of the role, which does kind of mess you up a few times. Mm. So everything about the game is pretty much like think like think before you act. So I don't know, that that alone was just pretty different. I mm-hmm. mean, like so gameplay wise and gameplay wise and I guess level design wise, like like it ended up just working well together, kind of like um, Embers of Miram, like another game that I felt. Like, I wasn't really enjoying it in the beginning until later on where... When it clicked. Yeah, when I find, where I gave it enough time to click. And this one eventually did click. Because, I, like, I know, like, Obasami played a few times. And just in a few glances, he's like, oh, that game looks really boring. Or it looks, like, not that fun. But it... And I could definitely see that from if you're just, like, watching someone play. Mm-hmm. But... Wait, I think slow like that would yeah. not be. There's some games that are really fun to watch someone play. And then some... I mean, that's the, more about experiencing. Yeah, and I mean, the... The visuals, like, I mean, in stills, and it has some, and many, like, it looks nice, but in motion, I don't know, something about, I don't know if it's the frame rate or something about it, but it just, it just has that really rough around the edges feel. Mm. Like, it feels like, I don't it know. It is an indie in yeah. its defense. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I think, like, I don't know, it feels like the frame rate or something could have used, like, a bit more polish, because something just doesn't feel right. Like, it's one of the things that you'll know when you play it, but it's like just... Like an doesn't... input lag, or... I mean, because I know you said there's somewhat of an intentional one, like you're sort of no, yeah, the, no, the, no, the, the strength. Is, no, it's more of like a visual. Like I don't know what I it understand. is, like, or maybe it's just the uh, yeah. That's definitely something up with the frame rate. I mean, that may be something they patched out. Yeah, I, yeah. There's, I'm trying to remember. There's a couple other indies that like big ones. Overcooked for a while had a frame rate issue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah kind of like overcooked. It feels kind of like that. Like not like it's, it doesn't make it unplayable, but noticeable. It's just noticeable when you're playing. Yeah, and also. um I don't know. I mean, not, not. I can't really fault the game too much because, like, it is in a medieval setting and you do have, like, woods and a bunch of gray. Like, there's just a lot of gray. Gray and brown. So, like, yeah, gray and brown. So, things that kind of get muddied a little. But other than that, I mean, I don't know. It, it ended up not, while still not, like, as great as I was hoping it would be, it was still, it still ended up being a fun game. That's good. So. Yeah, like so I, we didn't I, mislead anyone a month ago. Good. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm still disappointed. I don't get like that the perma limb right, thing right. wasn't. I guess fully realized it. I feel like it was kind of like backpedaled and sure. then overhyped. But I don't know. It's sounds over, I, sounds I, like I, overall still. Yeah, I feel experience. like I still recommend it. Huh? And it's Maybe, like what fifteen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like fifteen bucks. I mean, it, it's different enough. It's definitely its own pace. I think it's a Switch exclusive as well. So. It is. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So not very many Nindies currently are, but mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that I, you know, I'm gonna uh, yeah. unless there's anything else you want to add about Castle Heart. Mm, no, I kept. Um, no, I guess that's it. Well, I'm gonna start my thoughts on Kirby with the exact same way you start Castle of Heart. It's weird. Like, <laughs> I mean, you mentioned it a different way than I did, but like the best way I think I can think of to describing Kirby Star Allies is that so much of it feels like a top tier, best in class Kirby game. And yet the core mechanic, like the actual gameplay hook, somehow feels like B-tier Kirby. Like, I don't... It's... Okay, I don't know. For, okay, for, for those who perhaps are unaware of the game, the basic idea behind Star Allies is that instead of sucking up enemies to copy, you can do that and team up with them. So you can now have up to four people, you and three others on your team, and they provide assistance both by attacking and by solving some rudimentary puzzles, and you kind of go together as a collective... And the interesting hook of this is you can actually combine abilities to form new ones. For example, if I'm like Sword Kirby, I can have one of my new BFF fire enemy friends light my sword on fire, and now I have a sizzle sword, and it's like a flaming sword. Or if I'm Stone Kirby, this one's one of my favorites, I can have a snowman enemy who's now my friend turn me into a giant curling puck. It is called a puck, right? The curling thingy? Is it called a puck? I don't know what it's called. The curling stone. I can turn into a curling stone, and then my, my little snowman friend will like hurl me forward, like, slide me forward with great momentum. I could just knock out rows of enemies, like, go bowling with them, basically. And, like, conceptually, that's a really cool idea. Like, there's this whole second layer to just having Kirby copy abilities because now he can also team up with the copies and make newer things by combining the copies. And it's quite fun and pretty rewarding to, like, get to discover the new like abilities. Kirby 64. I mean, yeah, Kirby, they've done similar things before, but just, like, it is, there is, like, some reward to be had in finding the new combos, trying the new combos as you go. And they even have like a little animation the first time you use it just to add a little extra oomph to the whole thing, which is nice. But where the problem lies for me is that there's just there's just not much to do with those add abilities once you have them. Like sure, some levels have elemental-based puzzles. So like maybe with the fire guy, you need to light a fuse to launch a cannon that you put Kirby in or something like that. And, you know, sort of in the same vein, like there are some bosses that can be disposed of a lot quicker if you have the right combo of abilities. I mean... Um, Right off the bat, when you fight Wispy Woods, um, if you and all your teammates are fire people or have fire abilities or com- you know do a combined copy ability combo thing so everyone has a flaming something, he will actually be defeated a lot quicker because he's a giant wooden tree. So he will burn down or char up a lot faster. So there's little like clever things like that. But the idea of having all these extra characters around you doesn't really do much to the experience like at all. Like In fact, I'd, I'd argue for single player, it actually takes away from the experience because... You have a situation where you don't really get to control each character. You can technically hop on the back of one of them as Kirby and then kind of move them around as if you're like them. But ultimately, you're still moving as one cluster of up to four people instead of, you know, like being able to stop, take control of one, leave the others behind, go somewhere, bring it back. Like occasionally, levels do fork and you can't really switch between characters on the fly or anything because they're just. You need Kirby on their back. There, it literally is not a thing that exists in the game. And I was so surprised that there's not a way to kind of like leave some teammates behind and go do something and then come back and get them. They actually went to Google and spent more time than I'm willing to admit looking up how to do it because I was so certain that would be a key part of the game. And it just, you know, I'm like, oh, it's not in the, it's not in the manual for a game. It's not in the, they have a really great menu system that shows you all the move combos you can do with every type of ability. I'm like, oh, it's not here either. Maybe I'm just missing it. Let me just Google it. Does not exist at all. So instead, all you can do is, like, if you have one of those forked paths, you as Kirby will go down one, and then the other 
part of your team, the other, like you and a teammate will go down one, and the other two will just autopilot their way on the other path. And, like, that kind of takes some of the fun out of it. I mean, the automated characters also do good things. They're always happy to help as you run into enemies, but that, too, can also cause some problems because sometimes they're so enthusiastic about helping you out that they will actually attack before you even begin to attack. Like, they will go in front of you and start, like, playing the game for you while you're still catching up. And it's kind of funny, there's actually been a handful of times where I've wanted to inhale the enemy and copy his ability, and whoops, here comes Bandana Waddle Dean. He's like, I'm just going to kill him for you. I'm like, no, wait, I need that a bit. Okay. Like, that's happened, like, two or three times already. So it's just kind of, I mean, it's fine. It's just kind of, like, funny. He's a little overly ambitious, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like I need to give a few caveats here, actually, because I'm talking about this from a single-player perspective. Um, and first of all, I should say, from the single-player perspective, for those times where the computer does get a little overzealous with its characters, there are also plenty of times where I'm actually very thankful for how on top of things the computer is. Like, they're, these characters know immediately what to do when you get to a puzzle and you do the first step. They will fall in line and do the same thing. Like, they get it. It's not like you have to, like, trigger them or you or they'll reveal the secret. They sync up really well with that. And like uh, likewise, they know what to focus on when there's multiple enemies they know to focus on a boss versus a projectiles like they're they're good for the most part they're just a little overly ambitious so that that's caveat number one the second caveat probably the more important one is if you play this as a co-op game as i imagine nintendo likely intends it to be played you avoid pretty much every pitfall i just talked about in terms of you know um they're over ambitious or whatever it's it, they that takes care of it but i i, I kind of wonder if like like perhaps that's therein like lies the flaw one of the flaws with its design like inherently is that there you know there's been a number of successful co-op platforms put out by nintendo new suit mario brothers wii mario 3d world those are probably the pinnacle of them and what those games do so well is they kind of orient the entire experience around like a standard platformer just with extra people thrown in you know like you could still play all of New Super Mario Bros. Wii by yourself and you get a normal Mario platformer or you play it with others. It's just the same thing, but there's a few more of you doing it. So it's just a little more chaotic, but it's basically the same thing. Kirby Star Allies, by, in contrast, almost seems to take a step back specifically to accommodate just this idea of there's four Kirby char- characters always hanging out together on screen. And to be fair, you can also not team up with three other characters. You can have one, you can have two, you can have zero. But a lot of the games designed for the max team, so you need it there. But it seems, and you know, that's kind of to my point that it seems like the game's trying to accommodate more that than like normal platforming, and it makes the game rather easy. I mean, like every many most Kirby games are pretty easy, but uh, you know, be it, you know, if it's the normal platform ones, they tend to be relatively easy with maybe some hard stuff. If it's the experimental ones, like Epic Yarn was super easy. It's more about collecting. But this one just feels, I don't know, like, especially easy, I guess. Like, to the game's credit, they do have these hidden puzzle pieces that you can find in each level. And uh, there's hidden blue ones and there's hidden rainbow ones. And if you collect them, they will fill in, I kid you not, Street Pass puzzles. Like, Hal just straight up lifted the design of Street Pass puzzles and just plopped them in the game. And, like, now they're pieces in the world instead of people you see in the real world. So, like, literally, there are blue ones and there are pink ones on the puzzle. The pink ones are in the middle and rare. The blue ones are on the outside. And when you collect the rainbow piece in the level, that turns into the pink, the pink one on the puzzle. And there are 30 puzzles to collect with different Kirby images of different characters and everything. It's actually kind of, like, like it's kind of a fun thing. It's... It, it, for completionists or for someone looking for a bit more, at least you've got that and they are somewhat hidden and get clever with where they're hidden. So that's kind of fun. 
But um, yeah, the the core platform is just relatively simple. And it, the the funny thing is, for all I'm saying about how Star Allies doesn't live up to its concept's full potential or like really much of the potential. I am actually weirdly still enjoying my time with it a lot and find myself going back to it a lot, even though it's like, it's, it's not exactly like living up to what you could do with four people. It is just like a fun game. And I think a major reason is that how absolutely nailed everything else about the game outside that core mechanic, like it's overall personality and aesthetic. It's just like classic Kirby, like perfect classic Kirby. You've got, you know, creative looking levels You've got equally creative overworld design. You've got super cheery music with a bunch of nice little Kirby remixes scattered throughout. There's like some great cutscene gags. Like I don't want to spoil this one, but at the end of World One, they do something really clever that is like, oh wow, that that's this game has some good personality. And beyond just that, like it's just the attention to detail and everything is so great. Like the game, you know, it, the HD graphics look really, really good. It's probably the most alive world that a Kirby game has ever had. Like it just really pops and there's like winks and nods to games history everywhere you know like the different emmys you see the dream friends you can add they announced in the direct that they uh, and i think it's coming out probably by the time this episode goes up that the upcoming dlc they're gonna put out free packs where you can download classic kirby characters like rick and gooey from the old dreamland games and then you can recruit them to be your friends on your team instead of just random emmys or the ones that are already in the game and they're gonna be doing multiple sets of these so there's a lot of really good fan service which is cool um, and even things like the friend abilities, which I didn't even touch on, but these are where you combine all your characters to form like a train out of the four of you or like a giant ring out of you that rolls over enemies. And they're fun. They're silly. They don't really do much more than what like a Mega Mushroom in New Suit Mario Brothers would or like the giant egg in Yoshi's New Island. Like they're just spectacle, but they add just some more personality to the whole experience and really like hone in the whole like we're all friends. Yay. Type of vibe. So like even that I'm fine with. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, all that's good. It's just the core thing's a little not as not as tight. But actually, one final thought. Now that I think about that, of drawing, since I'm drawing parallels with Mario a lot, I'm I got a weird, well not weird, but I got an unexpected Mario World kind of vibe from Star Allies. And Mario World's my all time favorite game, so I, I say that I know what I'm saying when I say that. Like a lot of it structurally feels very similar, as in like how you progress from world to world and what the overworlds themselves look like. And then you do things like in the levels, you find hidden switches that when pressed will open up new things in the overworld, like Dream Palaces, which is where you go to recruit the special friends like Rick and Gooey and DDD and whatnot, or even hidden levels. And then like the whole first world, every level is named after food, which is exactly how Mario World's worlds are named. And even at the end of Dream of uh, Dream Allies, of Star Allies, they kind of mirror something you get if you're a completionist in Mario World. Like, there's a very similar parallel there, so I'm going to say. But yeah, it's it's funny just how much this game reminds me of Mario World, even though the core mechanic is so different and the platforming is less of a challenge, shall mm-hmm. we say. But yeah, I, I guess if you kind of tell uh, from how my I sort of switched over place, I'm, really, like, I'm really amped up when talking about the pros of Star Allies, and there's like a lot there, and they're really good. Like, everything about the game, like experiencing it, is really fun and how it all connected with some like simple breezy fun little platformers totally fine because the experience is so fun it's just i feel like there's a bit of a missed opportunity here that nintendo could have done more with this like it they they could have they could have expanded a little bit more on on this and it, it kind of makes me wonder like should we make do you think kirby needs a break because like the, we we run to this thing where 
lately all we've been getting of Kirby games are like expansions of mini games from other Kirby games, and some are great. Like I love Blowout Blast, excellent game on the eShop on the 3DS. But then there are these like quite not quite fully realized, almost there, but just shy of really hanging out park takes on other Kirby concepts. I mean, Star Allies has this really cool idea of like, oh, well, if the four of you were together, but then kind of doesn't do much with it. Return to Dreamland was kind of the same thing. Return to Dreamland has a similar problem. And then like Clash Royale on 3DS, or I think that's what it's called, right? The Kirby fighting game. Yeah. Like that, that was under-delivered. The concept was cool, but nothing really came out of it, I feel like. Like, I just feel like we're at a point where... If Nintendo has so many different IPs at their fingertips, they can get away with, you know, not releasing a Kirby game every year for a while. They can fill that gap. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would recommend Honestly, Kirby. I feel, like, more excited for a Kirby game if it just went back to, like, a, a 16-bit graphics. See, that'd be different. Yeah. Like, just like, a, like, I mean, Kirby Squeak Squad was fun. Like, I mean, at that point, I was starting to already feel... Actually, I think at that point, I already was fatigued with the Kirby gameplay in general. Yeah. Because I really like Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. I think that was, like, where it kind of peaked. Mm-hmm. Even though that was kind of a metric mirror. But after Kirby's Quick Squad, I was like, all right, this is still fun. But, yeah, I think I'm done. And then, yeah. And and I should emphasize history. again, like, I am, as much as I was nitpicking the core mechanic of and I mean, Star the, Allies, I am enjoying it. Like like I said, I'm going back to it. Yeah, so it's, and it's return, weird. And Return but... to Dreamland and this one are, like, two consoles apart. But we did have, like you said, um, Kirby's Epic Yarn, which gameplay is kind of similar overall, like, Although to yeah. to this Kirby's credit, less things to collect in Star, fewer things to collect. Pop, proper grammar, fewer things to collect in Star Allies than Epic Yarn, which I actually appreciate because Epic Yarn was nuts. Like it was like five million things per stage. This one is just the puzzle pieces. I actually which, really like that game. But yeah, yeah I, I just the collectathon aspect got a little, got to me a little. But but like this one, in the later world, it is the puzzle pieces get a little trickier. So that's kind of nice. But yeah, it's the same the same basic idea of like super easy game that you can't really lose, and then some stuff yeah. stacked on it. But kids will love it. Not for us. Epic yarn or this? This. See, now that's that's the thing is I'm still really enjoying it. The thing is, it doesn't. It's weird because that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Is that like it's a breezy platformer? Good for kids. It's and fun Jason, to. Ex- not for me. Sure. Yeah. Basically, my my take is like it's fun to experience. It's fun to go through and just like take in the world and take in all the atmosphere because atmos- like atmosphere wise personality wise this game is perfect Kirby in terms of like the gameplay hook I'm just thinking like, like why didn't they to... just do a little more like why didn't they just go one step further and really like hone it in it kind of reminds me of like like if you look at the 3DS Kirby games um, Triple Deluxe was very much just hey it's Kirby with stereoscopic 3D like things are flying in and out of the screen check it out it's normal Kirby but with that and then they did Planet Robobot which was like just one step further it's like oh hey so we mastered that engine with with triple deluxe. We mastered that very simple concept. Now let's make it crazy. We're going to put mechs in there. We're going to make everything about technology. It's going to be wacky. And it was a much better game as a result. So like, I don't know if that means Star Allies 2, Superstar Friends or whatever it's called, is going to like do kind of the same thing. But if they follow, follow that pattern, in theory, the next all four characters team up thing will actually be what this one I feel like should well, have been. Well, this was the next one. Well, oh, because of Return to Dreamland. I mean, that was literally like, that's you played with four people. Yeah. You had the stacking thing. This kind of like so in that uh, case, this kind of evolved that. I mean, I guess there's still. So I guess in that case, the answer is no. It's not going to happen. Which goes back to my original point of perhaps they take a break from Kirby. <laughs> like again, don't get me wrong. Like if you like Kirby, there's enough here that at least I'm satisfied. I mean, it sounds like you would not be. So it it is. Yeah, Check like, out the demo on the eShop. It's I feel like I'd only say this with like four people. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's 
and, and that's the and funny that thing way, is I'm saying you're talking about I have yet to try multiplayer. I mean, that way it's like completely different. Yeah. Well, relatively. Yeah, like right now it's kind of half and half. But like if they did take a break from Kirby, just hypothetically, this is actually an idea we've had to discuss on the show at some point. Um, inspired by you, – you can really thank Game Explain for this. They did a video like a month or two ago where basically like what franchise we'd love to see Nintendo bring back on Switch. And we were kind of like, oh, we should do our own version of that. And then Kirby sort of lines that up really nicely. So I'm like, well, if they need a break from Kirby, what would fill that void? So, like, I don't know. Like, it, it, what game would fill – like, if, if Star Allies is it for else. a while. Wow. Harsh words. You haven't even played it. Dude, it's so charming. It's so – I have played it. You played the demo? I've played, like – I've played it, like, a bajillion times. Okay. But you haven't – you haven't played it in HD with with – with Gooey and Rick as your sidekicks, and neither have I because they're not out as of this recording. But I mean, I could appreciate the HDness from a video. Yeah, um, yeah. And yes, it does look really nice. It looks it like a HD version of Return to Dreamland. It's almost as if it is an HD version of Return yeah. to Dreamland. No, but again, like I, 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 I'm enjoying going through. I don't think it's something I go back to once. I'm I would not fall it, for th- for for someone saying like, "Wait, wasn't this game on the Wii?" <laughs> it's it's. Uh... Basically, you're, what, what was the game in the direct you said last episode? You oh Bowser's Inside Story. Like, wait, wasn't this already on this system? Yeah. But yeah, so okay, so if you fine, so Kirby's out of the picture. Nintendo needs to fill that gap. What would you What would you put? Not necessarily as like a demographic match, but what would you like to see? As like, okay, they've done enough Kirby. We've seen it a bajillion times. What would slot in in its place? And maybe not even Nintendo. Maybe a game that's just An tied open to world Nintendo Chibi Robo game. Oh, that'd be nice. They already did their. They had their fun with their two D Chibi Robo. Just, just bring it back to how how it should be. Yeah, I mean, like if they want to play it safe, just re release the GameCube one. I'm sure a lot of people will love that, and then test the waters, and then go from there. Well, it's interesting. Most people probably haven't even played that game because that game no, was, it was relatively very niche. yeah yeah. So I mean, for as far as most people are considered, that would be a brand new game. And also, I would just say any of the Mario sports games, Mario Strikers Charge or Mario Baseball. Super Sluggers, as I've said many times. Well, Sluggers. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, but I they're could, all great. I could, for the 20th time, also be like, they should bring back Custom Robo, but I've said I so have, much. I mean, like, bring back uh, Mario, Mario 3 on 3. I think, you know, I think Mario Hoops the, 3 on 3. I think the, well, you know, they are still by by with Square Enix, and they developed it last time around. Um, they're Final Fantasy characters in Hoops, remember yeah. that? That is weird. But no, I, I think your Chibi Robo one's actually realistically not that far-fetched, because... What Switch proved very early on, and Nintendo kind of latched onto, Breath of the Wild, big open world that you explore anywhere, anytime. They then doubled down on that with Xenoblade. They literally marketed Xenoblade 2 as, if you like Breath of the Wild, you may also enjoy. Like, it was so obvious that they're going for the same crowd. And Chibi Robo is a domestic Breath of the Wild. It's yeah, just Breath I mean, of the Wild in a house. Like, I don't know. I can't really think of many games that with funnier that do such a good job of just, like, it's giving you a really great sense of scale. You just feel so, yeah. so small. Chibi Robo is honestly one of my favorite GameCube games. I would take a remake. I think a new one would be great. But yeah, every yeah. experiment. Chibi Robo almost is like the inverse I mean, there of was that, I mean, there was that picture one on the 3DS where you like take pictures and you yeah. put them in a museum. But that was like... Like everything you liked about Chibi Robo was just shrunken down significantly and, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. just segmented. And, and then it, and then they did zip blocks. It's, it's, it's just it's, a it's random like, platform. It's like a horrible tease. It's like a tease. Yeah. yeah, but I was gonna say Chibi Robo is kind of interestingly like the inverse of Kirby because with with Kirby it seems like they're starting to de-emphasize the more experimental ones and lean more on the traditional ones. But with Chibi, they haven't done traditional since um, Pedal Patrol on DS. And instead, they're doing all these weird experimental things like here's a camera one and Park Patrol, a, Park Patrol, not Pedal Patrol. Yeah, yeah, they had a proper sequel to the GameCube one. 
in yes, Japan on were, DS. Yeah, you know, on DS. So, it, so even then, not like, it park wasn't, control. It was a different one. Yeah. So even then, it wasn't like you were exploring like a two-story house. It was like an apartment or something. Well, that's because it was shrunken down. No, yeah, 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 it, exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so, so they've been scaling back since the. Yeah, GameCube but one. they haven't. But then they just completely dropped that. And started doing like what? What if Chibi was in a platform? What if Chibi was in a camera mm-hmm. in an AR camera game? Like it was weird. Meanwhile, Kirby used to be all traditional. Now it's like or used to be experimental. Now it's all traditional. So it's it's kind of a funny inverse that happened. But yeah, like, yeah I, I'd love not to Kirby. See. Stop experimenting with them. I know. You're, I, we, we already know what works. Yeah, seriously, I'd love another Kirby. You know, another game actually that I'd love to see is um, speaking of genres that might do well on Switch because I was saying you know it kind of fits the best of wild mode. They should do more narrative adventures. Like, they for a while... Like, when DS first came out, they were trying stuff like Trace Memory. They were trying stuff like uh, Hotel Dusk. Both of these were slightly older market skewing. Like, Trace Memory was everyone, but Hotel Dusk definitely skewed a little older. And it seems like Nintendo's dabbling in it again now with Detective Pikachu. Like, it's basically that type of game. But any sort of narrative-driven mostly reading adventure trace memory had a lot more interactive puzzles and brain teasers so it's almost kind of a latent but anything like that i think could actually do really well on switch because there's already a proven track record of it i mean oxen free thimbleweed park night in the woods even the telltale batman game that i've yet to play like and other telltale games like there's all these genres that like the genres established on the system there's enough stuff there that people that buy one will want the other will want the other so nintendo should just jump back in they have they have the the legacy print franchises they can use. I realize they were never huge sellers, but you have a huge audience on Switch that maybe never experienced it before. So it's a chance to relaunch a franchise. Like I, I think that'd be cool, and that that kind of plays to the Switch's strengths as well because you I can mean, curl definitely... up with it like a book or play it on your TV if you want something more. Yeah, cinematic. I would very much like that. Yeah, like I don't know if they should necessarily do like a Trace Memory two, although I'd be kind of interested to there see how that would work. Memory or two, you're right, yeah. another another something Trace Memory three. But um, Trace Memory 2 never came to America, in my defense. Yeah. Um, or, like, maybe they do Hotel Dusk, because the art style of Hotel Dusk is infinitely cooler. But I don't know. Like, anything like that I think would be neat. I also would like them, now that I'm really getting into the weeds here, Luminez reminded me when I saw it in the showcase. They need to bring back Medios. Do you remember Medios? That's that game by Sakurai? Yeah, so that Sakurai of Smash Bros. fame. Really weird figures. Yeah, Sakurai of Smash Bros. fame made a puzzle game that came out, I think, within three months of Luminous. And had a very similar, like, over-the-top, in-your-face aesthetic of just, like, crazy sound and lots of things moving around and whatnot. But it was basically, like, if if Smash Bros. was a puzzle game. Like, all the menus were very Smash Bros-esque and everything. And it was, a, it was you know, it was a typical block-drop-in puzzle game. But it was just really good. It had kind of a space theme and, yeah, all these little figures that kind of looked like a mix of, like, aliens and unknown from Pokemon. But they weren't spelling letters. They were just alien-shaped. But yeah, it is a really cool little game, and it came out, I want to say within like the first year of the DS. Like it was definitely in the early days where Nintendo was like throwing everything against the wall and seeing what stuck. But it never got a sequel, I don't think. It never, nothing ever came of it. The original did pretty well. It had online. It was one of the first games. Okay, it was not within the first year of DS because it had online. With so Nintendo Network It had to be the second year. Yeah, with a Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it was, so it was summer of 20, 2005 that came out, like June-ish, I think. But yeah, and it was really cool. And like, again, we have an established fran- established genre on Switch of puzzle games that people are interested in picking up. Puyo Puyo Tetris so what sold you're quite saying well. is you want one of the little medios people to be a character in Smash Brothers? What I'm saying is an assist trophy would be perfectly fine by me. I also want New Donk City as a stage because that would be beyond perfect. And I tweeted that request to Nintendo when they were talking about Captain Toad 
having a new Donk City stage. And surprise, surprise, I have not heard back. It's almost as if, why would they respond to me? But I was hoping they would respond oh, to me. Okay. But yeah, so I'd love to see that as well. Like, I think, I think, like, a lot of the big franchises that everyone expects to be there will ultimately be there. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we're gonna probably one day see 1080 weight or wave race or some sort of extreme sports package. F-Zero's for sure gonna happen at some point. I mean, they're blowing through their franchises so fast these first couple of years that they're gonna need to, you know, go back to those. And nothing says, like, you know, 90s nostalgia, like the games from the N64 era, F-Zero or the Super Nintendo era. And I'm sure. Era. I don't know, maybe it might not happen, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people really want Advance Wars back. I would love Advance Wars back. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, like don't let Wargroove carry everything. Or or Tiny Metal, for that matter. Yeah. But, yeah, the... the Advance Wars is weird because they sold significantly worse with each one. They did the um the dark Advance Wars. Have one of the characters come out of Smash Brothers and then just do what... Boom, what, that's it. That's what, Fire, what Fire Emblem did. What Smash Brothers did for Fire Emblem. Yeah, because Advance Wars had Days of Ruin, I think is what it was called. Yeah. And Days of Ruin was like, I love Advance Wars, but Days of Ruin, I actually never bought, but in retrospect, I probably should because it was kind of interesting concept. It was basically like, okay, well, if you did Advance Wars, but like kind of had some of the heaviness of like real war. So it was like the art was grittier, the box was really like brown and gray, I remember, and it just did not do particularly well. It's basically like as Advance Wars went down, Fire Emblem went up, and they just sort of switched places. So yeah, throw them a smash, like you said, it'd be perfect. Um, but yeah, that 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 seems less likely to come back, to be honest. But I think you know some of the others, Pilot Wings. I wouldn't be surprised if we see again. I would love to see a new Excite Truck, not Excite Bots, Excite Truck. So Excite Truck was more simple than Excite Bot. Like Excite Bot, so Truck was basically you know we launched how you steer by holding trucks with nitro. Yeah, exactly. It's trucks with nitro. You hold the Wii remote sideways and you steer just with motion controls and you, it was all about getting big jumps and, you know, going really, really fast. And had this crazy course at the end, like when you beat the game, that's when I beat all the way through a racing game that's not hard at all to beat. Go me. Um, you actually went to the moon and the world was purple and it was really weird, but kind of cool. And then they took the crazy. So they took the moon level and they took the idea of doing huge jumps. Oh, of course. I forgot part. The way you did jumps is you triggered the terrain to morph in real time. So you landed on, you like drove through specific things, and then when you hit the thing, the, literally the level would warp on the spot, and it would stay warped for the remainder of the race. Hmm. So that was kind of the hook, that was kind of the like interesting hook on it. And then for Excite Bots, the sequel, they're like, well, we took you to the moon, and you can make the Earth shift under your feet, tires. So what if we just like made all the cars bugs, like robots, weird things? What if they wrong, built yeah. sandwiches when they were driving? Like you pick up the ingredients and then you complete a sandwich when you do the combo or you go bowling randomly and there's like pins in front of you in the middle of the race. And it was all really fun and it was all really cool and they added online. But looking back, I just kind of preferred when it was trucks and morphing terrain and nothing more. Like if they just did that with online, I would be set. I'd just bring that to Switch and I'd be happy. So... I mean, it also, Excite Truck actually plays right into the Switch's, like, MO. I mean, it's perfect for local multiplayer. The controls are literally two sideways held motion controllers. So just pop off a Joy-Con, give it to someone, split screen it, you're golden, and then just throw it online. Simple enough. Bada bing, bada boom. So, yeah, bada bing, bada boom. So, point is, I feel like they could take a break from Kirby and have 20 different games available, and it would be fine. But also, I feel like if you have an interest in Kirby, you should at least try the demo Star Allies, because. I actually, as 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 under delivered as the concept is of the core mechanic, I am enjoying just breezing my way through it and experiencing all that it has. Well, you're a simple person. I'm a simple person with simple with simple likes and simple dislikes, 
I'm going to end the podcast right there with that. Unless you have any other thoughts, might as well wrap this thing up. Nope. All right. So we will be back on April 15th in an episode taped at a regular time, very close to when it actually posted. It posted this crazy one. Um, and that means that we're going to have all the latest news per usual. We're also going to have impressions of Detective Pikachu. Uh, I have 18 hours. No, that's wrong. 28 hours of transatlantic flights to and from Australia to play Detective Pikachu. So I will have thoughts on him and his game. Plenty of them. So to make sure uh, you don't... Although actually, I guess by the time you... Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, to make sure you don't miss that or anything in the podcast ever, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, Podcast Act, we're pretty much everywhere. Or you can just follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. It's the easiest way to make sure you don't miss things. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I am JSR7. He is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And um, yeah, in the meantime, I'm assuming right now that I'm befriending a marsupial. Although I also realize it doesn't really work because... If you're listening to me now, but I'm in the past, but this is posted in the future, so I'm just gonna, I don't know how time travel works. It's complicated. I'm just gonna stop talking. We'll see you in two weeks.